Ciao. Ciao. Jalo Chow Chow Podcast has returned. What have I done to you? What do you want from me? We want you to listen. We want you to subscribe. And we want you to join our Facebook group. Do you know how to do those things? I don't know. I don't know anything. Well then, it seems we have no choice. <laughs> Ciao, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Jallo Chow Chow, the All Jallo Show. I'm your host, Chris, and I am joined by my co-host, Al, all the way from Italy. Ciao, Al. How are you, sir? Ciao, ciao. I'm doing fine. Today on the show, we are going to do a deep dive on the 1955 French classic Les Diaboliques. And the reason why we're doing that is because the Facebook Chow Chow group picked it uh, over my less fancy, less uh, sophisticated um, <laughs> suggestion of murder by music. But it was a close race. I think it was 15 to 13. So, Al's so in case you haven't heard it enough, every vote counts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing new with regard to the podcast feedback. No new emails, no new reviews, good or bad. Um, but uh, just to remind everybody, if you're listening and you do want to interact with us, you can join our Facebook group. We are at Jalo Chow Chow Volume 2 on Facebook. Uh, you can email us at Jalo Chow Chow at gmail.com. Or you can head over to Apple's podcast or Spotify and give us a rating, write a review if it's on Apple. Spotify doesn't do reviews yet. I think they're in the process of adding that. We'd really appreciate any feedback. It helps us um, tailor the content a little bit to what you guys like. And um, But it's okay if you don't, because if we don't get any feedback, then we just do exactly what we want to do, because <laughs> but, no, we, don't, we don't think anybody cares anyway. So um, Either way, it's win-win for us. Exactly. <laughs> Good point. Our last episode in Terabang um, looks like it has a download count of about a little over 300, like 330. So that's a mm -hmm. little bit on the low side for us. Not that we get any, you know, we, we don't get thousands and thousands of listens, but we do get, you know, near the 500 mark. So I don't know if it's just because Interabang wasn't a big draw because it's an obscure film or if people are just starting to tune us out. I hope that it's because nobody had heard of the film mm. and was less interested. Yeah. We'll see how it works because with this one, Diabolique, even outside of Jalo circles, is a pretty well known film. So 
hopefully this will do better than Interabang. Yes, I hope so. going to head into our deep dive for the day. Uh, again, this was a suggestion by Al and voted on by everyone on the Facebook group. It is Le Diabolique, which is a French film from 1955. was suggested and uh, by Al and, and a few other people on the group um, because it is really a blueprint formula for many, many, many of the Jolly that we um, have either watched or still have yet to watch, uh, especially those from the proto period. Um, I'm going to stop talking because Al, you're going to tell us uh, some stuff about the film before we start going into the scene by scene. Okay. Le Diabolique 1955. It was directed by Henri-Georges Clouseau, uh, who was a director who lived from 1907 until 1977, mm. uh, born and died in France. The film he did before this was a pretty big hit, and it was called The Wages of Fear. And it also starred his wife, Vera, who is uh, the actress that plays Christina in this film. Uh, this film is based on a story by a pair of writers who worked together called Boileau and Narsayac. Uh, the book was called Celle qui n'était plus, which is French for she who was not uh, anymore. And... As they were writing their suspense thriller novels, they were hoping that Hitchcock would option to do a film of one of their books. And, in fact, Hitchcock was interested in this one, but Clouseau beat him to it by a matter of hours, mm. it's uh, rumored. Um, so Clouseau got the rights to do this film. Hitchcock turned around and bought the rights to another one of the Boileau-Narsayac novels and turned that into Vertigo. Mm. So there's a nice little Venn diagram between Hitchcock and Clouseau where that goes. Um, the, the book that... Uh, now this film inspired Hitchcock's Psycho in that it was an inspiration to the guy who wrote the novel of Psycho, uh, Robert Block. Uh, he named Belik as his favorite horror film. So there's uh, another little branch in uh -huh. the Venn diagram to mix all my metaphors at once. <laughs> um, in the original novel, uh, the husband was a salesman, the mistress was a doctor, and the wife was the victim, uh, the victim of the plot to be drowned in the bathtub, that is. So uh, in this film, the story got shifted a little bit. 
it stars Simone Signore as Nicole. She is the blonde-haired mistress of the uh, headmaster of the school. Uh, she was born in 21 in Germany and died in 85 in France. She has 72 acting credits to her name. Uh, she was referred to as the French Marilyn Monroe. And that's kind of interesting because her second husband, Yves Montan, was in America shooting a film called Let's Make Love with the real Marilyn Monroe. Hmm. And he had an affair with the real Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> so he was probably a method actor. He got them both. Yeah. I wonder if he got the German Marilyn Monroe too. <laughs> I wonder who that would be. Uh, okay. It also stars uh, Vera Cluzo that I mentioned earlier. She was born in 1913 in Brazil. And she died in 1960 in France. And what's interesting about that is... In this film, she plays a woman who suffers from a heart condition. And five years after the release of this film, she died of a heart attack just two weeks before her 47th birthday. Mm. So that's a sad little coincidence there. The schoolmaster is played by Paul Maurice. He was born in uh, 1912, died in 79. And he had 67 acting credits to his name. Uh, this is his most famous role. Uh, and in this film, spoiler, he tries to induce a heart attack in his wife. The actor actually died of a real heart attack. Uh, it was a while later and asthma related. And just as a funny little note, in this film... Paul Maurice's character, the headmaster, his name is Michelle. In real life, Paul Maurice's first wife was named Michelle, and his second and third wives were both named Micheline. <laughs> so, what are the chances of that? <laughs> okay, uh, the, the runtime is 116 minutes. The U.S. release was cut by 9 minutes down to 107 this was one of the first foreign films to get a wide release in English-speaking markets. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 96 approval rating with a score of 8.48 out of 10. The British Film Institute calls it one of the 100 best thrillers of all time, uh, saying that it is capped by an unforgettable twist ending. So I'm assuming they hadn't seen Interrobang yet. <laughs> Uh, this film has been remade several times, including a 1974 ABC uh, made-for-TV movie called Reflections of Murder. And in 1996, there was a remake called Diabolique with Sharon Stone and Isabella Johnny and Chaz Palminteri. Yeah, I saw, I, I heard of that one. I'd never seen it, though. Yeah. I wonder who plays what. I would guess that Sharon Stone would play the... Uh, Nicole yeah. character, the mistress. I was going to say that too. Yeah. So I wonder if Chaz Palminteri can be as much of a dick as <laughs> Paul Maurice's. No way. This one. Yeah, if he can, he probably got an Oscar. But anyway, that's all the uh, production notes I have for this. Did you notice just getting into some of the details of the character names? Did you notice at some point that? 
Michelle is also referred to as Miguel, or was that the mm-hmm. subtitles? No, I think that is because uh, Christina, the wife, she's from Venezuela. Okay, that's what I thought. So that would be Miguel is Michael in Spanish and Michelle was Michael in French. Right, okay. And, and I think at some point, somewhere, somebody calls him Michael, too, don't they? Maybe it's a maybe. joke or something. And uh, maybe I or, that you know story. what I didn't really, it was so, it's so hard for me to, to, to pay attention to the audible dialogue when I'm, when I'm reading it. Um, mm-hmm. But the boarding school, uh, mm-hmm. De La Salle boarding school. Um, right. If she's from Venezuela, but the boarding school is in France, right? Are they in Paris? Or are they, they're somewhere. I think they're near Paris. Yeah. So if she's from Venezuela, then her family needed to come over to France before she was even born because she inherits the school, right? Like that's, that's the school was given to her. I think she bought the school after she got married. There's a line in the scene where, um, where he goes to meet her in New York at Nicole's house. Yeah. When she leaves and he you know, finds out that she wants to divorce him and he shows up and he's saying, he, he talks about the life that we could have had, but no, you wanted to buy this school. Oh, right. So I think, I think his last name is DeSalle or De La Salle and that became her last name and they got married and they bought this school and they renamed it. And of course he had to put his name on the school and become the uh, headmaster principal. But but all the money is her her money. Yeah. Which makes it especially frustrating. Right. <laughs> to, okay. To, to watch her be treated the way that she is. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into it. It's uh, Le Diabolique. Um, I watched it on HBO Max because I have a subscription there. Um, mm-hmm. The opening credits, uh, there's a puddle. It is a very simple opening credit sequence. There's a puddle. Um, with various debris floating around in it. Um, and it tells you that Le Diabolique means the devils. And um, the music is very weird. It's got these jarring kind of strings, and then there's children singing, and then there's a pipe organ. Um, it's very weird and dissonant, and it it's, it's almost... I mean, it's, I, I don't want to say it's out of place, um, but it really gives you an off-putting kind of feeling. Um, and at the end of the credits, we see a quote by this French novelist uh, whose name I'm going to screw up, uh, Dio, uh, whatever. Uh, I'm going to just say it in English. Diorville. Diorville. Uh, and it says a painting that the quote is a painting is always quite moral when it's tragic, when it's tragic and it presents the horror of things it depicts. Now, I mean, I don't know if that's really what the quote is because it's in French, but that's the English translation of the quote. And I guess we're supposed Mm to infer some sort of theme from that, but I don't really know 
how or why it it, uh, it, it pertains to. So, um, yeah, it, unless it's the director kind of commenting on, yeah, I'm going to show you a bunch of crazy, morally speaking stuff in this movie, but the ends justifies the means, you know? Right. I think he was kind of pressed to put a quote by this author because I, I looked up the author and he had a collection of short stories published in 1874 that was called Le Diabolique. Okay. And I think he swiped the title in, in that, uh, in that book, there are stories of, let's see. Uh, stories of women who committed acts of violence or revenge. So mm -hmm. I think he was using the the theme of that book matched with the theme of this film to use that title. But the title of the book was She Who Was No More. Right. So he's kind of making the connection between the theme of his film with the title and maybe just as an excuse, he's like, well, shit, I got to put some kind of quote by this guy to kind of point people in that direction yes because i don't see how it really addresses anything yes it's it doesn't relate very much okay yeah. um okay so we see the uh, de la salle boarding school the gates car arrives um one of the men get out of the car um we see a shot of the puddle with a little kid's paper boat you know laying in it and the car drives through the puddle and um, I'm assuming that's supposed to be a, a throwback to the credit sequence we were just looking at. Plus, you know, um, this theme of, of water that we uh, see throughout the movie. Um, mm -hmm. Let's see. The car drives through, uh, goes up to the main building. A man gets out. It's, um, it's Michel, and he's brought back some food. The woman complains that the salads are rotten. Um, the man who got out of the car at the gate, he puts this wicker tray around his neck, rings the bell. The boys come running mm -hmm. and it's school begins. And uh, there's three people in the hall. There's the, uh, the older, uh, the older man. I don't have everybody's name properly because a lot of the times they refer to themselves as M dot last name, Monsieur, Madame, whatever. Um, okay. And it took me a while to get Nicole and uh, the other main character in the, in the subtitles, even though you refer to her as Christina, uh, her name mm -hmm. is spelled C-I-R-C-I -I in, in some situations of the subtitles, unless that's somebody else yeah, who screwed it up. When she's talking to her husband, Michelle, he calls her Cree Cree, which is like a, uh, a kind of childish nickname for Christina. Okay. Oh, okay. So he's so taking maybe the that's first what it was. Of, yeah. Okay. So the, the older teacher that we see, the older male teacher, uh, he is Monsieur Drain, which is kind of interesting. Right. Um, um, the younger male teacher is Raymond, and the guy who opens the gate and then uh, puts on that little wicker basket when he's selling, uh, well, when the kids come out to recess, his, he is Plenty Vaux. Right, okay. And I think 
them and our three main characters are the only people here at the school whose names we really need to know. Right. And then we meet one person towards the end, the 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 the, uh, the cop, or the policeman. So, Colombo. Um, uh, <laughs> so we see uh, Nicole for the first time, um, and she's wearing dark glasses. And she said she hurt herself getting up. And one of the men mm-hmm. say that they heard screams coming from her room. And then he makes a crack about a chaste woman. Um, and so I guess there's an implication there that uh, something is going on beyond what Nicole is admitting to, but we really don't know just yet what it is. Um, then we see uh, Christina for the first time. She's been given a gift of a, f- a little fan from one of her students. Um, mm-hmm. And she talks with some of the other teachers about going on vacation. And we, we get a sense that in general, you know, this is a boarding school. It's all boys. There are several teachers and um, they're just about to be getting ready for some sort of holiday. Uh, the kids are really excited because they're getting a break from school. That's what it seems like. Um, mm-hmm. Then we finally have the scene where Nicole and Christina are together alone and Nicole takes her glasses off and they talk about Michelle. Um, they talk about how uh, Michelle used to be nice when they first met, um, but he was only in it for the money. And eventually we figure out that there's this weird relationship going on. Um, we don't yet know who Michelle really is, although we've seen him because he's, you know, he's gotten out of the car with the salads, the rotten salads, but it's not, it's not um, explicitly you know, um, evident to us as a viewer yet who he is, but it's, it's explained that Nicole is the woman that he's cheating with and Christina is his wife and they seem to not only tolerate each other, but they seem to kind of be in some sort of weird relationship where they're trying to help each other out. And I dare say that there may be some implication. I don't know if you, um, if you agree or not that they're in some sort of romantic relationship, although it's never um, explicitly shown throughout the movie. Um, yeah, I, I think that's implied. Is it implied? Okay. Cause I mean, it's 1955, yeah. so they probably, you know, uh, you know, there are a couple of scenes at the end where they talk about going away together and whatnot, but um, yeah, I think it's implied as much as it could have been in a film from 1955. Right. Without pushing it into too shocking territory. Right. Okay. Uh, so, like in Naked, you die. I mean, that was a lot. Well, that was what fourteen, thirteen years later. Right. And uh, the social, sexual attitudes were a lot different than they were in '55. And even they didn't come right out. And I mean, they kind of did. <laughs> yeah. They, they kind of uh, kept it low key at the same time. Yes. Uh, not in again in in the 
70s, you know, you said you just saw Lizard in a Woman's Skin. So it's just a few years later. I mean, there's no doubt that Flander Balkan and Anita Strindberg were up to a uh, very physical relationship in yes. that one. Yep. But I think there are enough clues in this film to, to indicate that there's more going on between Nicole and Christina. Than just some sort of like mutual, you know, it, it, it's not even yeah. that they, they, they don't really act like they're friends with each other because they're constantly bickering and, and arguing with each other. It's almost like they're in a relationship. So, um, right. okay. So, and I think again, well, also at the time, I think it would have been shocking enough for uh, mainstream family values type audiences that the mistress and the wife aren't at each other's throats. Right. Exactly. And then you lay on the fact that they're, uh, they're conspiring to murder the the man i th- i think maybe they were like well let's not crystallize anything yeah yeah because we already have a lot <laughs> on our plate <laughs> yeah exactly we don't want to overdo it <laughs> yeah um okay and so the this is the first time they also mentioned that the wife has a heart condition um the two ladies mm-hmm. go upstairs nicole is showing something to christina in some sort of bottle, and then suddenly uh, Michel comes in, and he's a bastard. Like right away, you can tell he's a jerk. He's like, "What the hell are you two doing up here?" Um, he asks for a kiss from both of them, and then he basically just forces himself to kiss his uh, wife. Um, and then he sends them both out. He says, "Get out of here. You know, go go do what you're supposed to do." So, like, that's our first real scene with. Michelle, um, he comes in. He's dominating. He is um, misogynistic, and he makes no bones about it. Um, he doesn't try to hide it, and uh, he's clearly abusive. Um, so, uh, what's interesting about the movie is that every once in a while, um, the students kind of get involved with what's going on. And then other times they're kind of just there because um, they provide some sort of interesting, I don't know, commentary or just color to the script and to the movie. Um, but the, the boys are talking now and they think that the women are drinking whiskey. There's a scene where I guess one of the kids is writing on the, on the stone and Christina comes in and says, um, you're not going to go on vacation if you keep doing that. And then Michelle comes over and says, you heard her, you're not going on vacation at all. Um, I guess just to reinforce that he is in control, that he is not going to let Christina kind of make any sort of decisions on her own or, you know, assert any sort of power whatsoever. Um, yeah, even though she owns the place. Even though she owns the place. Exactly. Um, I think that was probably put in there just to show that his sadism isn't limited to these two women. It, right. it also extends to the kids. Yes, yes. And, and later we'll see him even bully the, the other male teachers, too. Right. And, the, so, and you can tell... He's the, an all-around... He's a jerk, yes. And you can, yeah. There's yeah, a couple of scenes a, where the other teachers kind of... When they think he's coming, they kind of, you know, they kind of get... Um, 
they kind of get tense uh, knowing right. that he's on yeah. his way in or whatever. Mm-hmm. So Nicole and Christina sit by the pool and they talk about a plan that they're working on. They talk about going to hell and do you believe in hell and divorce and <laughs> jealousy and, um, but they don't say anything specific. It's just, you can tell by what they're talking about that they've got something that they're plotting, that something's going on. Yeah. Um, I, I really like how this film doesn't, uh, spoon feed you everything all at once. Yes. It gives you an indication that there's something you don't know about and you kind of have to wait for it to find out what it is. I think that's yes. pretty cool. Yeah, because at this okay. point, you know, it may be that they're talking about getting revenge on him or, you know, that you don't know what the specifics are. Right. Um, the next scene is dinner and the fish is bad. And um, Michelle has this scene where uh, he forces Christina to eat her food um, and basically, you know, he puts her in a position where she's embarrassed. She can't swallow. I don't know why swallowing has to do with heart condition, but whatever. Um, That part. Well, I think she can't swallow because it's disgusting. It's disgusting food, right? Well, it's rotten fish. And there's a part where they mention how much uh, vinegar and stuff they have to put on it. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's the same fish as last night. Uh, I put a quart of vinegar and two pounds of onions <laughs> to cover <laughs> up the rotten fish. And that's when uh, the, the kitchen lady's giving that the, the trays to Plantivo as he comes out to, to serve them. Yeah. And I I like that Michelle has this lame ass excuse. He's like, Oh, um, I can't eat that fish. There's too much fat in it for my or like my liver won't let me eat that fish. So I have to have the sausage and mashed potatoes and everybody else has to eat this stinky <laughs> rotten chum salad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's awful. And we find out later that his excuse for all this is that, you know, um, there's not enough money and that he never really wanted to run a school. Um, but he's yeah. kind of be, he's kind of forced into this situation because this is what his wife wanted and he's got to try to make ends meet and he'd rather be a businessman and so on and so forth. So he's got, so do you think this is his like backdoor way of getting out of running the school? Kind of just driving it into the ground and Sorry, honey, the school didn't work. Let's go uh, start my idea now. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that he thought, maybe did he think that far ahead? I think it was more like he's just pissed off that this is his life right now. And he doesn't really have any interest or intention of doing a good job. So he's, you know. Yeah. He's just And ironically, if he did a better job with this school, it would probably become more successful and he could still get rich anyway and still be in charge. Sure. So oh, maybe he's just an asshole. Maybe he would drive any business into the ground. Exactly. <laughs> but, okay. um, so the, eventually the kids revolt um, and they get kicked out. And eventually it's just the three of them that are left. And... Um, 
Michelle says something about how he'll be happy when Christina is dead. And um, no. Nicole leaves. And it seems implied that Michelle uh, forces himself on Christina, but it's kind of happening off screen. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty nailed in by the next shot. I mean, it starts in the dining room, but then the very next shot is him passed out on the bed and her putting her clothes back on. Right. And, and this is, I guess this is the next morning. Um, although it, it, one of the things that I, I didn't understand, or maybe I, I, I didn't fully grasp until I got to the very last scene was that, um, they don't share a bedroom. Um, but I wasn't really sure about that because the scene at the end where she wakes up and she she looks out the window and sees the lights on and she goes, it, it looks like that's on the other side of the school. <clears throat> I think that's where his office like is. Like the office, right? Because that's where the typewriter was, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So <clears throat> she wakes up and there's this really interesting, subtle kind of scene where Christina is looking at Michelle laying in the bed with his hand down uh, over like hanging down towards the floor. And um, Mm -hmm. I think she's looking at him and imagining him dead at that point. Yeah. Um, I would. And I think we hear the bell ring, but she decides that she's going to, because she's sneaking out um, with Nicole she blows out the candles and like tiptoes out the door. So I guess she's just trying to not wake him up um, so she can sneak out. And um, she, she carries her shoes. Uh, she meets Nicole in the garage and there's this large wicker trunk that they extract from the top of the garage and push down the stairs and um, that's basically the end of that scene. We, we then move to Michelle coming down to breakfast to find out that the girls have left and they took the truck. And then he pretends that he knew this all along and just forgot, you know, because God forbid um, he shouldn't be in charge of everything. So um, that is the last scene at the... Uh, at the school for a while. Um, and uh, before we move on to the next part, there was something that I didn't want to forget to bring up, um, which is okay. that usually when we go through these films and it's Jalo films, um, there's a certain amount of I don't know. I don't know what the best way is to describe what I'm trying to say here, but this, I guess what I'm trying to say is this film was way more challenging for me to watch with a critical eye than most of the Jalo films that we watch. And I think part of it was because it's older. Um, but also I think it's because it is just, it doesn't have that kind of, playful wackiness that you get from Jalo films. Um, this right. one is just like, 
you know, I have some things that I could say about the film where, you know, I was critical of this or this or this, but um, it's not because of any of the, the wacky shit that we usually see in, you know, these films from the 70s. This was like a, a much more challenging film to watch, um, to take in, to, to, to pay attention to, to see if there was any sort of subtexts uh, or any sort of other, like, things that they were implying by the way that they were using the sets or the camera movements or anything like that. It was, it was definitely a film that I could see um, being one of the featured films in a list and a syllabus of a film appreciation class, you know, at a university. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so I just wanted to bring that up because um, there may be some things in this film that I'm glancing over that I'm, totally ignoring that are important to bring up um, that I just, you know, that I'm not noticing or that I'm not paying attention to. Um, and that's probably because I'm just so used to the films that we normally do there. E it's easy to spot the artistic stuff. It's easy to spot the, the, the times when the director was trying to do something a little bit more with the subtext because uh -huh. the rest of the film is just, you know, um done for salacious and you know exploitative kind of vibe and this one is a lot more emotional i guess so yeah okay uh, i wanted to bring that up but uh and i also found oh. it um i also found it challenging to keep up with uh the dialogue because it was going pretty fast and i was trying to read everything um, yeah, I had to pause it a few times. Uh, my French is kind of rusty, <laughs> but um, there, there's like you mentioned earlier. There's a theme of water going on, and we'll see throughout the film uh, things being filled up with liquid and things being drained. Right. So that's a recurring thing, and I tried to think about how is that symbol being used. Like when some things fill up, that's when something bad is happening. But then something bad is happening when things are drained too. So uh, is when something is filling up, does that mean something that is supposed to be or wanted to be hidden is happening? And then when it's drained, something uh, dangerous is about to be revealed, right. which that's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. um, but it's... It's not exactly spelled out, or my uh, my eye for that kind of thing has uh, softened a little bit from watching all these trashy exploitation <laughs> flicks from the seventies. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but I I did notice on the second and third viewing uh, that I've done recently, there are some little details that I picked out that I did miss the first couple times. Okay. Um. Not really symbolic or subtext type stuff, but I think little clues to persons, to characters' yeah. motivations and characterizations. Well, so one, I'll, I'll point those out. Well, and and one of the things, and I was going to wait to bring this up later because there's a specific scene for it. But one of the things I noticed is that there's a there are a lot of opportunities for them to put um, some sort of background music, and mm -hmm. they don't. 
And I don't yeah. know if that was a budget situation or if it was an artistic decision. I mean, especially like the last scene when Christina is like, you know, she's trying to follow the sounds and she's trying to see who it is. And it's just right. dead quiet. And I thought that they could use some music there, some sort of tense, like the, the I mean, the music that they start the freaking film with, um, with the credits is, you know, clearly jarring and, and made to make you uncomfortable. Um, but they don't really use music very much throughout the film. Um, I don't even, I can't even recall any specific instances where they've used, where they use it in, in the film, like probably in between scenes where they're transitioning, they may use some, but it's not anywhere where you I would don't expect remember it. the music really sticking out at any place. No, like, uh, definitely not. Like in a Hitchcock film, Bernard Herrmann would make his presence known like every 10 minutes in one way or another. And that didn't really happen here with this film. Yeah. So, not that the two directors have to be the same, but I mean, right, right. It, it, it did kind of strike me that, wow, I don't remember any music. Was there music? Did you yeah. Music a lot. So. Um, okay. One note about that last scene where he comes down to the dinner dining room at breakfast yeah. time and he's like, hey, where are the bitches, right? Oh, the bitches don't split. You know, oh, yeah, I knew that. Never mind. Yeah. He immediately turns to one of well turns to the male teachers and says well that's too bad because that just means one of you is going to have to stay here to watch the kids that are on detention so that's an instance of him bullying or mistreating the the male teachers the rest of and the now staff we have him yeah. yeah and there's the shot where he looks down at the table and sees the empty plates that you know haven't been touched so apparently she hasn't come down yet and we see bugs crawling across the table. Mm. Did you notice that? Yes, I did. I did see the bugs. Yep. Yeah. So, oh, what a dump. And at the same time, uh, before he comes down, you see the kids talking to uh, Monsieur Drain about get, who's getting on the bus and are you taking the bus? Uh, some of the kids are taking a taxi. And one of the kids says, uh, no, the suitcase, my chauffeur will get the suitcase. That's right. what he's for. Right. So these are kids from well-off families. Right. Um, well, they they kind of have to be to send their kid to a boarding school. So let's see. Now we have the scene where um, Christina and Nicole drive to Nicole's house. Um, they talk a little bit more about the plan. And it's kind of clear at this point that they're going to try and kill Michelle, um, and then they're going to share the school together after he's dead. Um, they arrive at Nicole's house. It is a large house, so she's rented it out to this older couple. And once they uh, walk in and get to their room, Nicole um, gets on the phone and calls the school and they call back and it's Michelle and they it's it's clear that they have planned this and that they're working from a script um, they're going to try to as we ultimately find out get Michelle to come to Nicole's house um, the plan yeah, and she's liter literally reading a script yeah, like because there's a piece she's of paper. on the phone, Nicole shoves that piece of paper in front of her. And she... Right. <laughs> exactly. Stick to the script, uh, bitch. 
One little um, detail I liked is while they're still in the truck driving towards uh, Nicole's house, and they're talking about how uh, you wanted me dead, and she says, no, it wasn't me, it was Michelle wanted you dead, right? Mm. She lays out the whole, uh, I call it twist. plan B. Yeah. yeah, because plan A is them killing Michelle. Plan B right. is the other plot that, that is going on. So Nicole right there into her face spells out the whole plan B. And then they just kind of laugh it off like, yeah, that guy's an asshole anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's, and, a, that's an important... And intro. not only to her, but they lay it out to the audience too. Yes. And as an audience member, you're thinking, nah, this, you know, I put it out of my mind by the time it turned out to be what else was happening. So I thought that was cool uh, yeah. from a writing point of view. Well, yeah, it's kind of like the... Um, uh, hiding in plain sight kind of idea, right? Where they, they, they tell you exactly what the real plan is. Um, mm -hmm. But Christina like laughs it off because it's so absurd. So yeah, yeah. Um, okay, um, so they get on the phone with Michelle. Um, Christina says, "I want a divorce." Uh, we need to separate. I want a divorce. Um, you're young. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Um, and Michelle says, I'll be there in a minute. Uh, you're being silly. Um, and he has to take the train because the women took the car. A and I probably didn't explicitly say this, but the, the plan um, the whole time that everybody knew was that Nicole was going to take a vacation to what's this town Niort and IORT Niort mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um and go to her house and it was planned that Christina was going to go with her to just get some rest I guess is that was that the idea that they had they had planned this ahead of time that the two of them were going to go together and everybody knew that well I don't think they did because uh, the way that Michelle came down to breakfast and was like, where's Christine? Right. Miserable. Uh, she left. So I think they told the other male teachers, well, the, 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 uh, the other teachers, they told them, but I don't think it was something that had been established before that morning. You know, like okay. when Raymond was talking to Nicole saying, well, I'm going to spend the vacation naked. How about you? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and she's right. like, well, I'm, I'm going to go home and uh, not be around you. I think at that <laughs> point, nobody knew that Christina was going. So I think everybody was surprised, but that Michelle was the them. last one to know. Oh, yeah. okay. Gotcha. Okay. Um. So Nicole and Christina, they talk about um, basically slipping uh, Michelle and Mickey mm -hmm. um, using a sedative in a bottle of what looked to me like Johnny Walker scotch. Um, it certainly wasn't J&B, and there was no point given for that. So yeah. um, I tried real hard to figure out what kind of bottle that was, but I, I knew it wasn't J&B. Yeah, it looked yeah. like a Johnny Walker red, maybe. 
I mean, of course, it's a black and white movie, so who the hell knows which color yeah. it was? But and over um, there, that would be a fancy import, right? Right. Yeah. Um, Christina is starting to have second thoughts, but um, they talk, and Nicole, you know, kind of gives her enough, you know, uh, not necessarily ridicule, but kind of just gives her just the right amount of push to make her you know, change her mind because she realizes how much of a, of a jerk Michelle is. And she's got this hatred and the resentment towards him. And she decides to go on with the plan. And, um, so Nicole, uh, splits and goes to visit the neighbors and leaves, um, Christina, uh, by herself in the, in the house. Yeah. Um, she had told them that she would go the next morning to, to collect their rent because they're, they're tenants of hers. Right. And she said, I'll come up tomorrow. But then, oh shit, Michelle's coming now. So let me go distract them so they don't see him coming in because that's bad for plan A. Right. Yes. So. Exactly. And <laughs> how did you like uh, Mr. Upstairs Neighbor? Yeah, is he, he was not great. like the the Frenchest Frenchman that ever Frenched, and he's wearing the little beret, and he's got <laughs> yeah. his glasses, and yeah, I thought and it was cool. He's listening to the radio, and then later on, he gets all upset about the the drain making noise, and yeah, he starts hitting the floor with his shoe. <laughs> <laughs> he might have some Italian in him. One of yeah, them. right. <laughs> so um, there's a very quick scene of Michelle on the train and it looks like he's flirting with one of the girls, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but again, that was only, that was like a, I don't know if you want to call that a throwaway scene. They think they had to just show that he was, you know, in transit, um, that he was heading there. Yeah. He can't um, contain himself. He just, he has to, you know, dog will hunt. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Michelle um, shows up. He comes up and tells her immediately, you know, pack up your bag as we're going home. She says no. She said she talked to a lawyer um, and that she'll be able to get a separation. And uh, Michelle kind of presses her on this and says he's going to check with the lawyer um, because how could, you know, she get all of this consultation information for free without paying him. Um, so she confesses that she lied about the lawyer, but she still wants the divorce. And then there's the scene where they talk about um, what their life could have been like and regrets and the past. And it's a moment where you kind of see a little bit of a different dimension of their relationship and a different side of Michelle for a minute or two. And you quickly realize that he's doing this to manipulate um, and not out of any sort of authenticity, but uh, for a minute there, um, Christina is kind of um, pulled back from the the plan because of sentimentality. Yeah, he's and, in full gaslighting mode here. Right. He's Absolutely. trying to butter her up. And uh, I like how he pats her on the ass when he starts to sweet talk her and tell her, <laughs> that, oh, it's not me. It's that evil bitch, Nicole. She's turning you against me. And, yes. Uh, my favorite quote in this whole film is when he's talking about how, well, Nicole is filling your head with all these crazy ideas type 
uh, stuff. And he says, two words, three lies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I'm going to like tattoo that somewhere. You know, but... <laughs> right. <laughs> she lies more, uh, than, more than the number of words she speaks, she lies. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so he's he's trying to manipulate her with every tool in his toolbox. Yeah. Like, oh, you want a divorce? You know how expensive that is? Oh, but what about the scandal? Oh, but what about your religious beliefs? Oh, but what about... And he's he's throwing everything at the wall, hoping something yes. would stick. And yep. she does start to melt. Mm -hmm. Until... Until he goes to have a drink. <laughs> <clears throat> uh -huh. And she realizes that, you know, she is having second thoughts. And she grabs the drink out of his hand and it spills on his tie and his shirt and well his prince of wales suit which his prince of wales we, suit right yeah his great which prince i had of to wales. look up have you ever heard of a prince of wales suit before this? no i guess it's a particular cut or a particular style it's a particular type of fabric oh okay and um carrie grant wore one in north by northwest uh -huh. And okay. both Sean Connery and Daniel Craig as James Bond have worn uh, Prince of Wales huh. suits. And Interesting. a funny thing I found while I was researching, uh, you know, all this hard work I do for this podcast. <laughs> I found a picture of Daniel Craig wearing a Prince of Wales suit on the set of uh, No Time to Die or whatever the, the last one was. And he's mm -hmm. talking to prince charles now king charles king charles yes yeah so i thought it was just meta it's funny as hell because he's wearing a prince of wales suit and he's talking right. to the prince of wales right and i thought holy shit that's, that's, you know it's kind of like a psychedelic trip right there <laughs> um okay so very meta. about him splashing and uh getting this uh what did we decide it was johnny walker on his Prince of Wales suit. Okay, considering plan B, right? Which is the, the big twist that we find out at the end. Right. Considering that's going on, do you think that the drink was drugged for real? Or do you mm. think that she just pretended to dose it with something? Yeah, that's a good question. Because... If it was not really dosed, he does a really good job of pretending to be sedated. On the other hand, if it is really dosed, would he want to be sedated when they're, quote unquote, drowning him in the tub? Right. You think you'd want to be as alert as you can, even to fake it. Right. Exactly. Because, yeah. And then there's, there's that question about, you know, how did they pull it off? In general, like they 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 push him under into the tub, and then they well, we're getting to that in a second. But you're right; it's right, yeah. it would really be difficult if you yeah. I, my my vote is that the, the the sedative was was really just the placebo, or, or I mean, not a placebo, but it was just it was fake. It was, there wasn't really right. Any. Well, if I was going to fake my death in any type of circumstance, I would want to be as much in my wits as possible. Right. I wouldn't be like, okay, this is where you give me the thing that's going to make me stupid and slow, and then I'll pretend to die. <laughs> yes. No. Okay, so considering that, 
she had started to come around, okay? He laid on his suave bullshit a little too much to, to change her mind about the divorce, which he has to appear to be doing, right? Right, yes. But then she actually starts to come around to his side. So when that... Okay, do you think maybe he caused that splash onto his suit? Or it was just a coincidence and it was the instance that he needed as an excuse to asshole out and turn her back around into following plan A? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think that uh, it was a coincidence, but it presented an opportunity for him to be a heel again. Okay, and so like he consciously realized, oh shit, she's not going to try to put me to sleep and follow through with plan A. And well, then plan I B mean, it, it all happens so fast, right? Like he's about to take the drink, <clears throat> and in the back of his mind, he knows that that's what she's expecting him to do, and that's what the plan A is is supposed to require. But um all of a sudden, she gets cold feet and grabs it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that he basically just reacted like he normally would react, yeah. uh, de- you know, demeaning her and telling her she's an idiot and yelling at her. Um, but like the, you know, the 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 residual effect of doing that is that it kind of reinflamed her, um, or you know, re- reignited her. Uh, determination to to go ahead with the plan um yeah because i like the, the look she... on her face when when he he drinks it and she just automatically goes up there and refills it like oh yeah okay i'm back to fuck you yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm all in i'm gonna give you a double here you go yeah, yeah um yeah and he drinks so he so she comes back and and with the with the empty glass and and uh I, does he does he pour the first one himself i can't remember um, let me skip ahead here. Okay. I'm, I'm looking. Okay, he comes in. And I like that they baited him with some kind of expensive import drink because he's kind of been forced to drink that shitty wine that he's been buying for the school. Yeah. And they know that he pretends to be a man of taste and um yeah, so But he has but bottle. he has to put up with it. Oh, okay. You know what it is? All right. So what happens is not all of it spills, I guess, is what happens. And there's some left in the bottom. And after he slaps her, he goes back and he picks up the glass and he drinks it and then she comes and refills it. And then he yeah. sits down. Okay. She automatically um, refills it. He doesn't even have to ask. Right. She's rubbing where her face where he just slapped her, and she comes up and she's like, oh, "Here you go, have some more." And he glugs it. Yeah. So he immediately starts to act like the drug is having an effect, which should really be a clue right away. Like he's he's hamming it up a little bit too much. Like it wouldn't it wouldn't take effect that quickly. Um, well, I don't know. It the first time I saw it, I was like, "Oh shit, that stuff works pretty fast." I mean, I've yeah. never uh, 
been roofied that I remember. <laughs> and I've never roofied anybody else uh, or slipped a Mickey, whatever you want to call it. I don't know how much that takes. I know well, what I, I mean, if uh, you're ingesting it, if you're ingesting something like this, it's got to go through through your liver first before yeah. it gets into the bloodstream to affect you. But within, I don't know, 90 seconds of him taking the second swig, he starts to feel like he can't stand up. So, you know, yeah. you could say that he's overacting it and that should have been a clue. But then again, you would need to know the specific kind of um, mechanism of action of the sedative and know like how long it's going to take to hit you. But at any rate, he lays down on the bed um, and Christina is more than happy to make him comfortable. And this weird thing happens where he says, uh, or, or he doesn't say anything, but she takes his shoes off. Right. And, okay. and then uh, the next scene, which I thought was one of the freakiest scenes in the whole movie is she's in the bathtub or she's in the bathroom pouring out the, the, the whiskey and he's uh -huh. got this weird look on, on his face and he says, I don't want to sleep. I don't want to sleep. We have to yeah. leave. And that was really weird. Like, I don't know why. Yeah. Who's I don't he know what that scene to? was for. I don't I mean, know what that benefit is that for. Right. Cause I, I mean, mean, whether if, even if you don't know about plan B, she's not in the room. So is, is he saying that loud enough? And I don't know, maybe that's just for the audience's benefit so that we think, Oh no, this guy's, freaking out and yeah I, I, that's what i think i think it's just you know what do you want to call it unreliable narrator or something the fact that his character should know that plan b is part of what's going on and he, he really sh but but as the audience we're seeing him in this in this mood where you know like uh, you're falling asleep but you really don't want to and you it gets a little freaky for a second but before you pass out and um mm -hmm. that looked like what was happening with him like he was having a weird kind of half awake half asleep dream or something um but anyway i just thought that was weird so uh nicole uh comes in through i guess some other door she's in the bathroom she's filling up the tub we really haven't been told yet what they're doing I thought that they were just going to poison him. Um, right. But it turns out that this is a sedative to put him asleep. She comes in. She checks under his eyelids. His eyes are rolled in the back of his head. And she says, okay, take off his shoes. Which Yeah, you caught that too. I didn't understand that. I, it, it's either something wrong with the subtitles. Because maybe well, she says, see. put his shoes back on or put on his shoes. But I don't know why she would or say take off his shoes his when shoes. his shoes are clearly yeah. off already. And, so. and I wonder if that was supposed to be there to clue us in on plan B or if it's just a continuity issue or maybe they, the subtitles are wrong. Okay. She says, put his shoes back on. Which oh, makes it, sense it, because... right. Later, when they're dropping him in the tub, he definitely has his shoes on. Okay. So the subtitles so, are uh, wrong. Yeah. 
even on the Criterion version I watched. How screwed up is that? All right, so um, Michelle is passed out. Nicole fills the bathtub. Um, as the bathtub is filling, the drain pipes start to make noise, and the tenants upstairs uh, start to complain. The, the, uh, the man is listening to some sort of game show on the radio, and mm-hmm. um, he's very pissed off that he can't hear his radio show um, while they're having their dinner and he starts banging on the floor, like you said. Um, the girls carry uh, Michelle over to the bathtub and drop him in. Um, and we'll see throughout <laughs> this movie that Michelle is very light because people can easily pick him up and move him everywhere. Um, yeah. Now, I've been to funerals, and maybe it's just the weight of the casket, but you need six people to carry it. So um, maybe it's easier when he's in a wicker basket. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, it wasn't I, like a pine wood trunk or something. Yeah, and oh, even when oh, they're at the God morgue later, he, he's in that. He's in what looks like a pine box. Um, well, that's not him in the morgue. Is it? Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. It's some other body. That's right. So, um, I think at some point Michelle wakes up for a second while they're trying to drown him, but they push him under and then Nicole asks, uh, Christina to go and get, um, the statue to weigh him down. Now, my guess is that when she, if we're going to talk about plan B, my guess is that when she gets the statue, he comes up for air. Um, yeah, probably. And, um, but then uh, once she brings the statue in, Christina is, you know, she's, she's a little bit out of it at this point. She's kind of racked with guilt and traumatized by what they just did. And she collapses on the bed and Nicole goes in and covers the tub with a tablecloth. And um, they, the, the women decide that they're going to stay the night because Christina wants to go home right away. But they decide that they have to stay the night. And that way that the, the tenants upstairs will see them in the morning and they'll have an alibi. Um, right. So the next and day, I think they were kind of okay. counting on Christine to freak out and not hang out in the bathroom as he was laying there being drowned with a heavy statue on his chest. And when they put the tablecloth over the tub, that could have been either, I mean, um, ostensibly, that could be from keeping uh, Christine from seeing the body and getting more freaked out. But like you were mentioning earlier, I think that was for him to be able to stick his face up above the water and breathe without right. being caught. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I okay. think, do they use that tablecloth to wrap him up to, before they put him in the trunk? Because they talked about the nylon has a hole yeah, in it. Yeah, and that's why it's is waterproof. Right. And she mentions that it's a nylon thing and it's waterproof. And... um. Did you notice when Nicole comes back into the bedroom, she locks the bathroom door behind her? No, I didn't notice that. Okay, it's, uh, let's see, the neighbors upstairs, blah, blah, blah. They burn the, they shove them under, get the thing. Yep, this one. Okay, she goes in there, she gets a tablecloth, she goes back in the bathroom. 
Okay, so after she covers the tub up with the tablecloth, she comes back into the bedroom, she turns off the bathroom light, she closes the door, and locks it with the key. And Christine asks, did he suffer? Do you see that? Yes, I'm looking at it right now. She locks okay. the door with the key. Yep. And Okay, yeah, I was I... trying to think, why would she lock the door? Because the door is... The, the that bathroom door is still inside their apartment. It's not like one of the tenants or anybody else is going to walk in there. I think right. she locks that door so that if Christina gets up to go, I don't know, take a piss or shave her pits or whatever <laughs> in the middle of the night, right? The sound of the lock would alert uh, Michelle to play dead again. Yes. Or at least let him know to play dead because again. the sound of the key turning. Yeah, that's very subtle, and I don't think I would have noticed that if you hadn't mentioned it. She yeah, locks that's the door. something that I, I caught on like the third viewing. You know, once you already okay. know everything that's going on. And, yeah, uh, yeah, and that's really that interesting cool. because w w what I've noticed about when I watch Jalo films for the second time is that all the stuff that you were supposed to pick up on the first time. Because mm -hmm. these movies were made for audiences that were only going to see it once in the theater. Um, yeah. You weren't supposed to see it six or seven times and, and, and discover all the clues. But right. knowing the way that the movie ends and what's really going on and what the mystery is, um, watching it the second time, you pick up on that stuff. And it's, I don't know if it's saying something that modern audiences aren't as you know um, observant. Or if they put that stuff in these films and no one ever no noticed. Like, I don't know how many people would have picked up on that, locking the door with the with the key. Yeah. Well, let's see. Moving along. Um, okay. The next day, um, we have a scene where uh, they drag, um, they, they bring the, the big wicker trunk in from one room to the next, and then they go into the bathroom and um, make... Miguel is Miguel. Michelle is uh, sitting there in the <laughs> bathtub with Mikey with his eyes all <laughs> whacked out and looking really gross and, and weird and disgusting. And uh -huh. um, Christina says he's ugly. Um, and I guess they don't show them putting him into the trunk, but the next scene he's in the trunk, they're trying to take it out. Um, the neighbors are helping them get it into the trunk. One of the strings breaks. They fix it. Um, they're acting uh, very hasty because they need to. They need to leave right away. They don't want anybody to to. They don't want to hang around too long for people to figure out what the hell's going on. So, um, you know, the, the the one neighbor says, "Let me go get my trunk. You can have it." I think she says what? There's dishes in there? Is that what it was? Yeah, she said dishes. So uh, they get on the road and they talk about how there's a lot of police and there's a police presence and um, I guess the the women um, aren't really happy about that idea. They kind of want a very uneventful ride home, but at one point they stop at a service station and there's this scene with this a service you know in a, a military man who's drunk um with this little 
you know, party favor. And he comes up to the, the car and asks the ladies for a ride. And she says, no, I'm sorry. I can't give you a ride. We don't have any room. And the gas station attendant comes out and says, get the hell out of here before I kick your ass or whatever. And then they notice that uh, the, the trunk is leaking something. And mm-hmm. he says, let me fix that for you. And she says, no, don't worry. We don't have any time. We got to go. And they split. <laughs> he blames it on the soldier. He's like, what did that drunk asshole do? <laughs> yeah. Like what exactly did he do? Did he take a shit like in the, in the, in the back of the car or, or puke or piss or like, what's the liquid for? Like, well, the gas station guy it? seems to think that the soldier who we just kind of bounced out of the back of their truck pissed or something. And he's like, well, I'll clean yeah, that up for you. And no, it's actually the not quite dead, dead body <laughs> in the in truck that's leaking. leaking out of the nylon. Yeah. And when they drive off, there's that shot of the gas station guy looking so disappointed as they drive away. Like he was really looking forward to wiping up soldier piss and lost his chance. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and there's and somehow at the service station there's also a dance hall in the back, which is kind of Well, weird. yeah, cuz I guess it's still party time for whatever yeah. the vacation was for. And you know, in a in a Hitchcock film, if they say something like, "Well, there's going to be a whole lot of police out uh con- you know, conducting traffic today," that would have led to something. I mean, to like some sort of, sort of interaction, suspenseful scene where a, a cop would uh, almost find out what they're up to. Mm-hmm. So for a second, they show them driving past some guy out there conducting traffic, but nothing comes of it. And here we have the scene where the soldier's getting in, and I was fully expecting the first time I saw this, I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those long, drawn-out car rides where he starts getting into their business and there's going to be a lot of right. close calls. No. Right. He, he, the gas station guy comes and tosses them out. But then they, you know, so there's a, uh, a letdown, well, you know, a, a letdown of expectations. Number right. two for that. Right. Followed immediately by number three, because the way he shoots and holds on the gas station guy is like oh he's going to come up later he's going to be somebody that oh we heard from a gas station guy that he had a trunk no that doesn't happen either yeah so he's he's doing hitchcock but not doing hitchcock at the same time yeah or hitchcock type things that you would expect yeah it's definitely it's definitely a hitchcock thing especially like when you think about um the scene where in psycho or marion um, pulls over to the side of the road and then the cop um, wakes right, her and up. There's that, and then, that big face leaning in the window at her. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was and expecting then she goes, something and, like that. Yep. And then she goes to switch cars and the cop shows up at the same place as the dealer. And mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. you're right. I, and I wonder like, you know, if this was, if this was done intentionally to give you just a sense of what these two are going through. Um, or at least what Christine or Christina is going through. Um, yeah. Instead of it being like, you know, um, the, the, the plot is going to be foiled or there's going to be some sort of a twist that involves running into a policeman or the gas station attendant remembering something or something like that. Instead, it's just 
we're going to continue to throw at you um, these tense situations um, to remind you that at any point, you know, these women could get caught and because they're doing something really bad. And that kind of reflects on how they're feeling about this whole thing. Because, again, you're supposed to watch this movie thinking that this is just a normal you know, this is a straightforward, like plan A is the only plan, right? You don't, you don't know. Right. Yeah. They, they try their best to make sure that no one knows anything about plan B until the end. And you right. know, there's even that commentary at the end about don't tell your friends, but um, yeah. So you know, it's Clouseau obvious subverting. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's, it's obvious to us now, because it's so many years later and everyone's seen this film, um, you know, like, you know, the, the secret in Citizen Kane and the secret in Psycho, like, you know, you should really right, know, right. it shouldn't really be a surprise anymore. But back then, yeah. this, the whole idea was these, these women are doing something treacherous. They're devils. They're the two devils. Right. So what were you going to say? And I wonder if Clouseau's subversion of these expectations, you know, you go in and you think, okay, well, this is going to happen. And then this is, oh, of course the cops are going to get involved. Of course that soldier's going to find something or the gas station guy's going to squeal. By subverting that, that might subconsciously create more uh, tension and suspense in the mind of the viewer. Like, yeah. well, hell, I don't know what's going on now because what I expected to happen hasn't happened at all. And right. in a few more uh, scenes, we're going to be at the, basically the, the home stretch of plan a, and we're only halfway through the movie. Right. Well, what the hell's coming on? You know, what's coming down the, the, the lane. And I think that works pretty well. So, yeah. And that's true too, it. because you know, the audience that originally saw this, I mean, they weren't necessarily paying attention to the running time. Like, hey, you know, we're only halfway through here. What else is going to happen? Yeah. They probably yeah, just they couldn't see them. the little progress bar on the bottom right. of their <laughs> telephone. <Exactly. laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So, um. They finally arrive back at uh, De La Salle home school and um, they're, they're there late at night and um, the caretaker opens the gate for them to drive in and then he goes back to sleep and they pull the truck up to the front uh, right next to the pool and I think it's the second time we've seen the pool since the movie started and they so is right in front of the pool where they normally park the truck because no if not, I don't, that's I don't kind think of a so. bad move yeah i don't think it is i mean if you look at the when when uh when michelle delivered the 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 stinky salads in the beginning he pulled yeah. up right to the front door so yeah, yeah uh, they yeah. pull they pull the wicker trunk out they they put it right down near the edge of the pool. And then all of a sudden, as they're about to dump the body into the pool, um, a light goes on and um, they hide behind the, uh, the car, uh, hoping that uh, whoever's in the bathroom is just not looking out the window. 
the light goes back off. And so then they decide to dump the body into the pool. Okay, and, so right here, I have a question. Okay. Con concerning plan B, okay? Um, we know that Christina has a heart condition, and uh, that heart condition could, or for them, should be fatal. And she's worn out, tired, she's stressed, and right now, in the middle of the night, under the possibility of being... Uh, observed or caught or exposed right now is a good time to make her help us lift this heavy fucking trunk and dump <laughs> it into the pool because if her heart does give out that's the plan b is toast yeah i mean Absolutely. you can't explain oh what was she dumping she, oh, she was going to wash the dishes in the swamp water of the pool at fucking midnight <laughs> and her poor heart couldn't take it because i forgot the I don't know, Palmolive, what was that shit that used to soften your hands? Anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. that was so, it. Yeah. So, uh, no, that's, yeah. A, that's a very good point. Um, On the other hand, when else could they dump the body in the pool? Because you got 20 kids running around and the groundskeepers and stuff. But if I was, uh, if I was Nicole, I would have been like, no, you, you relax. The last thing I want you to do is to have a heart attack right fucking now. So you chill, and I'll drag this fucking thing out by hook or crook, or hey, get a dolly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For somebody who's thought dolly. of everything. Yeah. Like that. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. Cause... Yeah, well, you know, there's always a case to be made that um, they don't necessarily think of everything because you know uh, these kinds yeah. of plans never work out the way you want them to and people who typically plan these things don't get away with it um, at least in the movies anyway um, so uh, okay and I oh, said so that so the next day um, the women are talking and there's several scenes where something happens and then the next scene is the women are bickering about it and then another scene and then the women are bickering about it again. And we go through that a few times now. Um, at this stage, they're hoping that someone finds the body in the pool. Um, but at this point, no one can see through the murky water to see that there's anybody in there. Um, and the men are discussing that uh, Michelle is still missing. And I wrote this quote down um, because the younger, I think the younger of the two teachers, male teachers comes in and corrects the boys. And he tells this one boy that he has to write 20 times. I provoke my comrades frivolity with my absurd comments. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was a funny thing that you'd have to write. Like when I was in school and I was made to write things multiple times, it was, I will not this or this or this, or I must not this or this or this but instead right. this one is kind of the present tense thing but i provoke my comrades frivolity with my absurd comments i wonder how that really translates um from french but anyway um i wonder if they still do that in schools do they still give sentences as punishment 
I mean, I know I over know. here they don't. I haven't heard my kids say that they had to do it. Well, maybe they're just good. <laughs> maybe they don't stir shit <laughs> like up. It, I haven't heard of anybody else doing it. I mean, I would think yeah. that by the time you got to middle school and high school that it wouldn't happen anymore. I think it's more of a grammar school. Yeah, I don't think it happened out of elementary school, but I, I'm sure it went a long way to helping my handwriting because I was getting sentences every week for something. Um, did you notice when they wake up that morning that Nicole and Christina are in the same bedroom? Yes. Like they spent the night together and they're both wearing male type pajamas. I thought that was a, uh, a subtle nod to that other aspect that we were discussing. That they don't really... Uh, yeah, let me broadcast too loudly. Yeah, that is really interesting, right? There. Yep. Yeah, because there are other scenes where, uh, especially towards the end, where Christine's wearing a nightgown, a very feminine nightgown. Yes. Yep. And but not in know... this scene. Right. And we know that Nicole has her own room because. Uh, Monsieur Drain heard her screaming the night she got the black eye in her room. Right. But here, they're just, you know, they're both wearing uh, pajamas with pants and apparently waking up together. I thought that was uh, noteworthy. That is very interesting. I never, I, you know, again, I'm probably just not, like I said before, like noticing some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, obviously we talked about them probably having some sort of um, relationship that isn't really discussed, but the, the, there's more evidence there than I even noticed. So that's, that's okay. kind of interesting. It's kind of cool. Or maybe it's um, just me looking for lesbian clues everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, it makes total sense. You know, it's the first thing in the morning. Nicole opens the window and they're both in the room together. They're both in their pajamas. If they had slept in mm -hmm. separate rooms, they would have gotten dressed before they got together and had a yeah. meeting, or at least one of them would have, whoever came to the other room. You know, it's 1955 in, a, in an all-boys school. So if you're going to leave your room to go to some other woman's room, you're probably going to put your clothes on first and not wear your pajamas. So, I mean, it's, right. it's pretty obvious that they spent the night in the same room together. Now, And, whether and that reminds me... Was, in the back at Nicole's apartment, when Michelle showed up and drank the was it or was it not drugged uh, whiskey, right? When yep. he goes to lay down on the bed, he says something like, "So whose bed is this? Yours or hers?" And Christina answers, "Ours." And she says, "It's ours, right?" And he and he says, "That's funny. yeah, yeah." So that's you know that's another. Uh, I think point. And I took that to mean it's ours, like Christine, like, Christina and Michelle ours. Um, well, I don't know. But yeah, no, that that's, that's another interesting. Cause in her me. mind, she's thinking this guy's about to be fucking dead. He slapped me for the last time. I've had it up to here with his shit. And why not tell him that I'm, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm getting some of his mistress too. 
<laughs> just to, <laughs> that'd be kind of a nice little twist of the night. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And I was thinking about that the second time I watched it. Like while he's floating out of consciousness, laying on the bed, uh-huh. you have to remember that she is interacting with him for the very last time ever. And yeah. you're right. Like maybe she was confessing yeah. um, to some stuff at that point. Very interesting. Because we do see them sleeping in the bed together later. Right. After after uh, he's in the tub. Yeah. And Christine can't sleep because of the drip, drip, drip on the tablecloth or something. Yeah. Is that what and, it is? That, is that what keeps her up? Well, I, maybe. I mean, they do a close-up of the, the spigot right over the tablecloth right. and the drip, drip, drip. And then they cut to her, and she's sitting straight upright in the bed, you know, scanning her eyes back and forth. And Nicole's and asleep, yeah. Sleeping like a baby, yeah. Well, because she's the criminal, right? Like The criminals always get a good night's sleep when they're... Um... Yeah, and she doesn't have the guilt of, oh my god, I just killed somebody, hanging over her head. Because right. she knows what's really going on. And Christine's the one that's the nervous Nelly, right? <laughs> Where did that one come from? Nervous Nelly. That's interesting. I don't know. Who's Nelly? Why is she nervous? Um no. <laughs> So now I guess uh they're in the classroom and Christina is I think she's teaching them English, right? Um Yeah. Like they're conjugating, they're conjugating like verbs. Yeah. In English. Okay. And she keeps looking out the window. She sees the caretaker go over with a rake to get something out of the pool. She gets um, tense, but it's really nothing. It's just some, I don't know what it was. It was like some sort of like debris that fell in the pool. And, and the verb that they're conjugating right as he spots something in the pool is to find. Right. Did you notice that? I thought that was a cool little touch. You're right. And that's not in the subtitles. You have to really listen to it. Uh, I think it was in the subtitles I had. Yeah, maybe the ones on HBO. There's no subtitles for that part. Well, they probably didn't bother because they figured, well, that part's in English. It's in English, yeah. To find... So um, then we're, it's, it's nighttime. The women are grading papers, um, but they're also bickering again about um, she wants, uh, Christine talks about how she wants to drain the pool. And Nicole basically is, you know, kind of chastising her about kind of being a child and not taking responsibility and, um, you know, it's clear that they have this relationship that at least if it's not sexual, it's some sort of bickering partnership that would be related to husband and wife or wife and wife. Um, so she says, look, if the body doesn't come up by tomorrow, I will figure out how to get the pool emptied. Um, and I hope, but I hope we don't regret it. And the scene ends in the next day, the boys are out and they're kicking the ball around. Um, Christina is very nervous. She's biting her nails. Um, 
and the boys kick the ball and it lands in the pool. And the next thing is, okay, something's going on with the pool and the girls are nervous because any attention brought to the pool means that, you know, the, there should be some sort of revelation that they find Michelle's body and they still have which to is like, what they want, which is what they want, but they know that when this happens, they've got to put on their story and pretend that they don't know what, yeah. you know, what happened. Um, and honestly, you know, as, at, at the very least, Christina shouldn't be worried because nobody in that school suspects her of anything. They all think that she's nuts. They all think that she's got a heart condition and that she's weak and that she's a woman and all this other stuff that, you know, I, I don't think that she should be worried about getting caught. But at any point. Um, yeah, I think plan A is pretty solid if it works. It's a pretty, yes, exactly. I don't think anybody would be like, oh, here's dead asshole in the bottom of the swimming pool. The two of you must have killed them together. Must have been you two, <laughs> right. No, no, we were out of town bumping donuts. We don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> and and like he said, nobody saw him leave. And it's like, what do you say it was? Like a 10 or 12 hour drive away? Yeah. To where they were vacationing? I think it was a solid right. plan. And Christina has zero cool about this. I mean, she's ready to fold that night when they're sitting there grading the paper. She's like, fuck it. I'll take responsibility for it. And Nicole is chill. We're on this. Relax. And it's yes. like Christine takes every, every opportunity to just give up and surrender and confess. And ugh. after a while, I kind of start being, stop feeling sorry for her. But. Well, and like later on, you can tell that she's, She's religious because she's got, you know, this little setup where she's got, it looks like a picture of Jesus and she's got like a little kneeler and she's praying. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe she's, you know, the, the guilt and, you know, the, the guilt that is informed by her religious beliefs and stuff is really starting to get to her. Um, yeah. So they decide that they want to get a pole to get the, um, the ball out of the pool. And so Nicole throws a set of keys to the boys to go get the pole out of the shed or something. And I think she, she purposely... throws it specifically towards the championship swimmer of the school, which <laughs> right. I thought was a cool touch. That was nice. But she puts, she definitely throws the keys in the pool on purpose so that mm -hmm. somebody will dive in there. Um, and so the, the one kid who is a uh, really good, I, I guess he was supposed to catch them, but instead he says, I'll dive in and go get them. So he dives in. Um, unfortunately, he does not find the keys, but he finds the gold lighter. Well, I guess it's, I guess it's gold. We don't know. It might be silver. Mm -hmm. um, the we lighter that belongs. Shiny. It, we know it's shiny and it belongs to yeah. Michelle. That's all they find. And so I think she brings the caretaker over and says, I need you to drain the pool now. And he's like, well, I was going to go get my haircut. And uh, she says, here's some extra money. And he goes, okay, well, my haircut can wait. I'll drain the pool. Um, Which is kind of could be suspicious also. I mean, you threw the key to the pole shed and it fell in the water. And it's so fucking urgent that we have the keys to the pole shed that I have to cancel my haircut and drain the pool right now. Right. Well, I mean, first that... of all, she's 
she's an irrational woman, right? <laughs> we keep forgetting. Number she's two, she's a 1950s woman, right? And number two, it's it. She, she's kind of. I think she's kind of in charge because you know the director is not there, so it's yeah. like no matter what you say, I'm going to have to do it. And then on top of that, maybe something else was on those keys that were important. You know, you never know. Like yeah, maybe. Of course, you know why wouldn't somebody else have another set of keys? Yeah, maybe so, it was like all of Nicole's keys or something. Right. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. And she needs okay. them for you know other things. So the next scene is really interesting. The boys, they really have a lot of, I guess, respect or whatever the, the right word is to describe the way they feel about Christina. Almost like she's their mother or she's some sort of, I don't know. But they're, but they're all being very sensitive. At least that's the way it looks to me. They're all being very sensitive to the fact that she is sad or she is upset or she is not in her right mind. Now, very well may be that they just don't want to misbehave because she's in a bad mood and they don't want to get in trouble. But in most other, other cases, you see that Christina is usually a very um, understanding and compassionate teacher and isn't mm -hmm. strict. So I think they all like her very much. And I thought that was kind of a poignant little scene when she comes back in. Well, at the um, very beginning, there's that kid that gives her the gift. Of yeah. That black lace right? fan. So I think she's probably the, the student's favorite in the whole place. Yeah. Uh, I don't so know, they don't they seem to take the two male teachers very seriously. No, <laughs> no, they do not. Uh, I think with Nicole, I think they're more afraid of her because she kind of walks around with the Ilsa she-wolf of the SS vibe that they, uh, they pick up on. Absolutely. She looks like a Nazi for sure. Yeah. And they, they're, you're right. They're probably scared of her. So, um, Okay, so then they go through this lesson where they are trying to figure out how to get the area of a hexagon by mm -hmm. using a circle, I think. Um, right. I think my son did that last year in uh, geometry. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to do it. I forgot um, if I ever did know how to do it. But anyway, <laughs> the next thing you know, the pool has been drained and the kids run, or let's see, the, um, and Nicole says, uh, or not Nicole, um, Christina says, hold on a second, kids. And she runs out to look in the pool. Because uh, it's now it has no water in it. And Nicole comes to the window to look out to see what happens. And Christina collapses. Um, but we still don't see until the re big reveal. They have all the kids running over and Nicole walking over and the camera pans to the right. And all we see is the caretaker and he's at the bottom of the pool with his broom or whatever it is. And there's nothing there. There's no body. And, and I don't see how that was such a big uh reveal because even as she's looking out the window she sees plentivo with a shovel or rake or whatever it was walking over to the ladder of the pool to climb down inside it okay so obviously the the water level is pretty low 
He's not freaking out because there's a dead principal asshole husband <laughs> laying there, you know? So yeah, she runs only... over and he's over there and, you know, there's a shot where he's inside the pool and you see him full body and she's up on the side. When she looks over and sees that there's no, uh, Michelle's not there. Well, plenty of, oh, what do we think? He's supposed to be like, oh, shit, I found the keys and a bunch of branches and a couple deflated footballs and a dead principal. And, uh, yeah, well, I guess we'll fill it back up after. (laughs) Well, I mean, first, the first thing I notice is that he's really only on the screen for a couple of seconds as he's, as he's, as you see him through the window, but it's Uh quite possible that they hadn't really drained it all the way. Like if it's, if it's a pool where there's a shallow end and a deep end, which in this case I'm looking at it and it doesn't look that way, but. Um, you know, it, it, or, or maybe it is cause you can see, um, that in the foreground of this reveal shot that it looks like there's dry parts to the pool and then where uh-huh. he's standing, you know, it's only up to his ankles. So they yeah. obviously drained it enough, but I don't know, you know, it's, it's a good point. Um, but yeah, that, that that's probably a detail that. You know, nobody really cared about. Well, again, she's losing her cool because if he did find the body, why do you have to rush out there like, oh my God, Plenty of almost found the keys. I must, and we halt the lesson. Let me run out the window. Yeah, right. Because the keys really weren't that big of a deal. Because when she does that, everybody in the school runs to the window, even Nicole's class upstairs. So why are you drawing attention to finding the guy's body? You know. It kind of gives away the their plan, but yeah. But again, no one's paying very much attention. No one would ever suspect Christina anyway. So yeah, um, and nobody does, even when she does confess. <laughs> right, even when she confesses, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, well, as she collapses again, they bring her back to her room. They give her some more medicine to calm her nerves, to calm her heart down because mm-hmm. she has a heart condition. Um, and the women, uh, let's see, they argue some more. She can't understand what's happening. Christina says everything is crazy. Well, that's after they talk. For the a men while. are the let's men are see. talking a little bit. Yeah, um, the men are shooting their shit like they tend to do. Um, and the doctor says um, she needs some rest, but then he says there's another doctor um, that I can send over. Oh yeah, and now she's yeah the specialist. This is this is the scene where she's kneeling down with her rosary and she's praying, and Nicole comes back in. Yeah, after talking to the doctor, and she says, "Well." Uh, Something about like getting a second opinion. Is there anything we can do? And he says, well, there's a specialist. I'll, uh... In the meantime, keep giving her the digitalis or medicine. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah. Uh... So let's see. I have Nick. Nicole goes to Christina and tells her to get real. <laughs> I kind of... Uh... 
paraphrase <laughs> my notes. Was that up. your paraphrasing? Yes, of course. Yeah. Then Nicole freaks out. Okay. Uh, here, Christina spells out. Oh, she, yeah. She's, she starts talking about the leaky taps and tubs and pools that get filled and drained. And that's kind of nailing. Yeah. Bouncing up and down on that theme. Yep. Uh, okay. And then Plenty Vo, who I guess is done with his waiter boots in the damn deep end of the pool, uh, is, comes in with the dry cleaning, which is Michelle's Prince of Wales suit. Right. Now, okay. just so I am 100% on this, the reason why this scene is so um, nerve-wracking is because the suit that he was wearing when they drowned him in the bathtub, that's the same suit, right? Exactly. So, like, how could his... He's missing... He should have been in the bottom of the pool, but he's not. And now his suit has been cleaned <laughs> and sent back. Yeah. So, like, you know, the the idea of not plan B, but what is really going on, Nicole is pretending to go along with this what is really going on thing. Right. Um, yeah. What could really be going on? Like, he, they, we know that they dumped him in the pool. So he swam out. He was really alive, and he swam out. He got his suit fixed, and it was sent back already. Or the other theory is that somebody pulled him out of the pool, somebody who knows what they're up to and is right. now trying yeah. to drive them crazy, which is really yeah. what is happening, but Nicole is in on it. So, Right. So somebody raises the uh, possibility that Oh, it's later when they. she says she's going to the hotel. And Nicole says, no, that could be just be somebody setting you up for blackmail. Right. Okay, so the two possibilities are she, they're being blackmailed or they're being gaslit and driven nuts. One thing, I, I love the sense of humor that, I mean, there's some dark humor kind of going pretty underneath the surface in this film. Yeah. We've already established that Michelle is pretty damn proud of his Prince of Wales suit because he mentions it by that uh, that name a couple times. And right. apparently in the 50s, it was a, a big deal. So they drown him in this suit, and then they dump him in the dirty, skanky, swampy pool right. in that suit. And the first thing he does when he climbs he gets, up out of there is he sends it to the dry cleaner. Gets a suit clean. Yeah, and then fuck them. Send it back to the school. Oh, that'll that'll freak her out. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> and it does. And she's yes. like, "Holy shit, it worked!" Absolutely. Yeah. And as much of a dick as he is throughout this whole movie, and I despise him as a human being, but his sense of humor, the, his little sardonic wry yeah. witticisms every time, you know. Exactly. He's a funny guy. He's he, yeah. You you don't like him, but you laugh at him. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Well, they've got some information about the dry cleaner, and so they decide to follow this these clues. They go to the cleaners, and it turns out that I guess there's a hotel room key that was in the suit. 
or at least according to the story that got left behind that that they forgot to bring back um they don't really get any information about who brought in the suit and why was it there and any of that they just know that now all of a sudden they have this hotel room key and they get the information about where the hotel is and they the, the girls decide to go investigate but they didn't really say anything like the cleaners didn't say anything about who brought the suit in right right okay yeah apparently no, nobody remembers who brought in the suit that was drenched in swamp water <laughs> just that morning right and it wasn't that and, long and ago. How, how many swampy Prince of Wales suits are coming in and out of here every day anyway? <laughs> you would have <laughs> remembered What the hell's happening in Paris in 1955? Right. Yeah. We get five swampy Prince of Wales suits a day. You know, <laughs> Before lunch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they decide to go check out this hotel. Um, Christina goes in. Uh, Nicole stays behind. Like you said, uh, under the guise of, hey, somebody might be blackmailing us. Uh, the room's empty. And this is probably not the very first time in the movie, but it's the first time that I was drawn to um, the use of mirrors in the film. And I think it just like the, the theme of the water and the emptying and the filling, I think they put mirrors in certain situations. Um, yeah. To kind of just reinforce, like, hey, you know, um, the ref you know the the theme of you know seeing myself um, reflections of who I really am, or things aren't what they seem. Um, what am I looking at in this mirror? Whatever. But there's a a shot where I think, um, and you know, sometimes it's done just for composition, where they have two people that are going to have a conversation. And instead of having two over-the-shoulder scenes where they keep cutting back and forth or two people in a, in a wide shot facing each other, they have one person in the mirror and the other person facing the mirror. And it's a, it's a different composition of the, of the shot itself. Um, but I think in this case, they use a mirror where the caretaker comes in um, and... I, no, I think what it is is Christina sees herself in the door because it has a mirror on it. I think that's what it is. And then, uh, yeah, that's what it is. So he comes in and the door starts to open. And before he walks in, you're thinking, well, maybe this is uh, Michelle. And he's going to come out and say, ha ha, I got you. Um, but it's and not. Oddly, when that door opens with a mirror, She's in the room. She's looking around. She expects to find Michelle there. The door opens, and she seems to be remaining pretty calm compared to how she's been in right. other parts it's, of the yeah, film. Yeah, uncharacteristically calm compared to the rest of her nonsense. Yeah, I would have expected her to keel over right there. But... <laughs> With the door opening. <laughs> yeah. And then when you get a look at the guy that comes out, it's like, oh my God, this is like yeah. Leatherface's grandfather. But. Right, I would have ran away. <laughs> I would have been out of there so damn fast. <laughs> right, exactly. He's got that bandage on his head, so, and uh. yeah, yeah, he's and he's, uh, and yeah, he's real ugly. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. 
but he shuts the door and um, he basically says, look, um, yeah, this is his room, but he's never here and he doesn't leave anything uh-huh. here. Um, right. So do you think that this has been one of Michelle's secret rendezvous spots for a while? Or do you think yeah. that this was something they set up just recently to to help with plan B? No, I don't think so because the way that the way that the caretaker talks about it, it seems like he's been taking care of this room for a long time. Um, but he never sees the person who's rented it and they never leave anything there. I think that this is where Michelle comes to have his flings, maybe with Nicole, maybe with somebody else. Now that he's not with Nicole, maybe he still is with Nicole. But I think this was, um, I think that this was set up for a long time and whether it actually factored into plan B or not, it may be a coincidence. Like, you know, they sent the suit Mm -hmm. in order to like, to, to drive Christina crazy, but they didn't um, consider the fact that the hotel room key was in the pocket and it was just a coincidence that it led them on like this wild goose chase. Um, because they knew, you know, or Nicole knew, well, you don't know, like Nicole stays away for a reason. Like she knows that this, this is their, right. Their, she doesn't want to go in the hotel probably because right. they would recognize her. Yeah. Right. Maybe they, would Oh, there's that girl. Them. So I'm, I'm okay. I'm thinking they meant to send her, send uh, Christina to the hotel because I mean, he lost his lighter when he fell in the pool mm-hmm. and that the, the key to the hotel was it's like one of those things at the gas station when you have to take a piss and they don't yeah. want you to steal the, the only key to the bathroom. Right. So they put it, they on a chain attached to a hubcap or something. Yeah, so you don't... exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those. Like and, a cinder block. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And thinking back to the scene at the dry cleaners, they're like, Oh, did you get a, uh, a stinky swampy, Prince Wales suit in here this morning. Oh, no, gee, I don't know. I don't remember that. And then, boom, in an instant, she's like, oh, you mean the guy with the the, the dark-haired creepazoid guy with the bamboo cigarette holder? Yeah, here's his hotel key. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, she remembers? So maybe they're in on it, too? Or he just slipped her five francs and said, look, somebody's going to come in here and send him to this hotel. Wink, wink. Know what I mean? Oh, mm. you filthy pig. Sure, five francs, I- I'll do it. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they would have been that calculated to to expect all of those things to happen. I think it was just a coincidence that they went to the hotel room. Well, okay, yeah. Also, considering plan B, I don't see how it really helps them at all. The whole Right, thing it, it does. Yeah. So, well, maybe it was and, just filler for the Well, film. and and don't forget that plan B um the next thing that happens with plan B is the newspaper article about the body. And it's like, they couldn't have planned that. I mean, it, well, I have some questions about that too. You want okay. to jump to that? Well, when we get there, let's see. Um, okay. It's coming real soon. It's, it's next anyway. So, um, right. they get back. So the, so the hotel's a dead end. Um, mm-hmm. 
the guy says, you know, uh, whoever, whoever rented this room, his life is somewhere else. And so they go back to the, they go back to the school again and they're pacing around, they're arguing again. Um, uh, they blaming each other. They both threaten to call the police on each other. Um, and let's see. Yeah, they kind of play chicken with the telephone. Like, you right. call the cops. I'm going to call the cops. You know, I don't care if you call the cops. <laughs> and, and the next, I, yeah, I think so another. I, go ahead. I think another little side note is it seems like, okay, Michelle is gone. Uh, we think we killed him, but he kind of disappeared. But everybody else knows that he's missing. So now we can just. Fuck it, he's missing. Let's go into his uh, headmaster's office and dig through the mail and check on the bills. They're finding out that there are bills that Michelle hasn't even paid. Yeah. So that's another tick in the box that he's a shitty administrator and doesn't uh, do his job correctly. Um, right, right. Just like the bugs on the table, you know. Right, yeah. That little hint that he sucks. Yeah. Uh, but he has money to keep this uh, fuck pad going at the hotel. Uh, <laughs> well, he only spends his money where he thinks it's necessary for him to live right. his life. Yeah. He has a Prince of Wales suit and his bamboo cigarette holder. And, uh, his hotel room in the nice place. Nice hotel. Yeah. So, all right. So the next scene... I guess it's the next day. You never really know. They don't. They don't really give you a lot of information about how time passes here. But um, Nicole gets a newspaper, and she immediately opens it. And within two seconds, she says, "Christina, look, his body has been found." Um, right. Some person who is unidentified has been mentioned in the newspaper, uh, fitting the same physical description as Miguel. And so um, by that reasoning, um, they think that it must be him. Now, they don't really explain why either Nicole or Christina would think that he ended up there. Like, how did he get out of the pool? He got out of the pool on his own and then drowned somewhere else or Somebody took the body and dropped it somewhere else. <laughs> we don't really know. But one way or the other, the body, there is a body. And it fits the basic description of um, Michelle, who we find out later, you know, is described as one of 10,000 people in Paris or something like that. And right. uh, not to mention the tourists. And then... Um, so I, I think it's it's funny that she shows her the the article in the paper okay so uh oh and by the way christina is on her way to confession uh i think at the church but then she kind of throws in that she might be going to the cops too uh oh, look, oh here's okay. a front page there's a body found on the riverbank and it's naked so that explains the suit at the dry cleaners i guess Right, and then Nicole actually says something to the gist of, uh, "So it's all over, nothing to worry about." <laughs> like, <laughs> right, oh, there he is. Oh, everything's solved. The guy that we killed 
40 kilometers away and then we dragged him over here and dumped him in the pool that got up and took his suit to the dry cleaners and then walked <laughs> naked and jumped in the river. They found him. So we're good. Case solved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All we have nothing to worry gone. about. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, yeah. that's. But I, I think the coincidence that, okay, there is this naked body that fits his general description is found on the river of the sun. Okay, fine. And it's the day after. Is this the next day or uh, later that day? or I, I don't know. I don't when know. they find out that his suit had been dry cleaned. Okay. And I, I don't, because I don't really see how it would benefit plan B, I don't think it's impossible because there are, there are some other coincidences. Um, the body is five days dead. She finds that out when she gets to the morgue. Yes. And that just happens to be five days ago when they thought they killed Michelle. Well, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because some of that involves Columbo. And we haven't even met him yet. So Right. <laughs> um well, okay. yeah. um, so so she goes to the morgue. Um, mm -hmm. She says, I, I, I saw this article in the paper, and uh, I think it might be my husband. She's very, again, very calm and cool and collected about this whole thing, uh, as, mm -hmm. a, as opposed to being hysterical the way she normally is. I think she gets hysterical when she's around Nicole. I think Nicole makes her nervous. Um, yeah. But anyway... She, the, the the guy who's working at the morgue is kind of grilling her and asking her trick questions about how to identify, you know, something uh, specific about the body. And she passes his mm -hmm. little quiz. And so they bring up the body. And we see this old man sitting, you know, on a chair in the hallway. What is he doing there? Um, is he just <laughs> hanging out in the waiting room of a morgue? or a hospital because he's got nothing else to do. He's waiting for somebody to come to give him enough incentive to do some private investigation because he's that bored. I don't, you know, why is he there? We don't know. Um, I think he's or, just fishing for cases. I mean, he, I, he's a retired policeman, 40 years on the force, uh, detective, whatever. And, I think he read the newspaper and said, oh, this something might turn up with this. And probably the active duty police are too busy with other stuff. Uh, plus, you know, it's right after the, the big party holiday. They probably have drunk soldiers piling up in the uh, jail cells. So maybe he's just bored and that's his hobby. You know, some people just can't or don't want to quit doing what they do. So okay. he shows up there fishing for a case, and hey, there's some naked body found in the sun. Uh, so let me stick around and see what comes up. There might be something I can keep myself occupied with for a while. Yeah, I mean, listen, I guess if I had nothing better to do and I was a retired police officer or a detective, maybe you're right. You know, I would go mm -hmm. sit you know, in the waiting room of a place and, and see if anybody came in. So 
Maybe that's why he's For there. Christina's part, she goes there, and it is kind of fun watching her play that game with the morgue clerk. Like, right. uh, what does he have on his thigh? Uh, nothing. How many teeth does he have? I don't know how many teeth I have. Right. <laughs> and yeah. It would take me a minute to count them with the tip of my tongue. But right. <laughs> it would have been so much easier if she just reached in her purse and pulled out a picture of her husband and says, is this a guy? But no, we have to right. have the scene where she goes downstairs and looks at well, it. And... Maybe, you know, maybe her memory card was full. She doesn't have any pictures. You know, she hasn't right. emptied the her phone in a while. I don't know. Yeah, maybe she hasn't transitioned from her older model cell phone yet. <laughs> the, the, I forgot maybe my the password was, to the cloud. The cloud was down <laughs> at, that t- at that time, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I no, I don't know. She probably just didn't carry around the picture of him, I guess. So uh the attendants bring the body out and um they wheel it over for her to look at. And uh, she goes over and they lift up the, I guess, the top part so she can see the guy's face. And it's not him. Um, So, but, okay, one of the things I wrote in my notes is they really spent a long time uh, with the two morgue attendants Going mm-hmm. in and opening the the locker and bringing out the 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 box that has the body in it, putting it on the the dolly and and wheeling it over. There's a lot of time spent showing us that, and I don't really know why. Like unless it was just to fill time, or it was just to add to the creepiness that you know you would normally feel in 1955 if you saw a body being brought out of a morgue um but it doesn't you know it doesn't really or add maybe much. just people hadn't seen too much of the behind the scenes and uh morgue before. right and we're kind just of jaded to, make, to it now add some sort of flavor i guess to make it interesting i um, don't know how much more they'd have to pad the film it's already almost two hours right true and i and i know that you know this is definitely a slow burn kind of movie and um, they want to just really set the tone and, and put little pieces of information throughout. But I agree. It may have been a little too long in certain spots. Um, so Christine goes back out to hail a taxi to go home and the cigar guy shows up. And he shows his ID and they take a ride back to the school together. Um, his name is uh, Fichet, I think. Right. F-I-C-H-E-T. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. He offers to help find Michelle um, and says that he will only take payment if he's successful in solving the case. So she has nothing to lose except for the fact that she doesn't want him to help <laughs> this case because if he figures it out then she'll be in trouble um and, and there what, what case is he talking about the case of the woman who can't find her husband oh shit right. let me get cracking on that <laughs> there's not too many of those around <laughs> well he'd get he'd get more business if he just parked outside a divorce lawyer's office and yes did that kind instead of, of instead of the morgue 
Right. Yeah. Because eventually he tells her, well, he probably ran off with some whore. And she's like, oh, thank God. I was, <laughs> I was worried it was something serious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what happens next. He comes back to the place. He starts asking around. Um, mm -hmm. He goes through the mail. He looks at the typewriter. He starts writing down facts. Um, and then he goes through the wardrobe. And he says, um, well, if we can count all of the things that are left in the closet, then we'll know what he was wearing because, um, you know, whatever's missing is the one he's wearing. Uh, they count the <laughs> shoes, they count the, uh, the suits, they look at the ties. Um, and this guy has seven pairs of shoes. He has seven pairs of shoes, right. Six. I don't think I've ever counted. owned seven pairs of shoes at the same time. No, no. And there was no, you know, there was no such thing as like athletic shoes or tennis shoes back then. So at least for him. Um, yeah. So they, I think they mentioned that there is a gray Prince of Wales suit that's missing. And <laughs> yeah. um, then all of a sudden, uh, Fiche closes the door. And there's the suit from the dry cleaner hanging on the hook. So that scene was really just supposed to be about him catching them in a lie or, or at least them, them kind of being confronted with being caught in a lie, right? Well, maybe not necessarily. If they say the last time we saw him, he was wearing the gray suit. And boom, hey, like this one right here, hanging on the door. Right. I mean, they right. act guilty as shit, like, oh, fuck, we're busted. You know, that's the look that right. they have on their on their faces. But I don't think he was automatically like, oh, they're lying to me. I think he's like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Well, what could this mean? Well, um, the other thing is, I don't even know if he noticed, because his back is to the door. I got to look at the scene again. But... His back is to the door, and they look and see the suit and have a reaction to it. But I don't know if he ever did see the suit. Yeah, he turns around and looks right at it. And he says, oh, like, okay. this one? Oh, oh, okay. All right. So I must have forgotten that part. Yeah, and Christine actually kind of falls backwards a second. <laughs> As she does. She yeah. she really doesn't have a good balance. She's she's got the scared shitless look down in yeah, you yeah this she film, does. That's almost the only picture of her you ever see. Yeah, exactly. But it's and it's strange see, because she doesn't she she's not like that in uh, Wages of Fear. So she's not like a one trick pony as an actress. But. Well, that's good. But you know, it's before I ever watched this film, seeing that picture. Um of her looking scared. I always thought the film was about a ghost. And then when I finally watched it, you know, obviously it's not. So, um, yeah. So, uh, let's see. Um, the detective leaves and, um, Oh, that's the, uh, where he throws out the, the line. Sorry. That's where he throws out the line to commit suicide in the sin. One doesn't need to undress. Oh, okay. Okay, so that 
makes me wonder, okay, they're not used to finding naked bodies on the, the side of a riverbank. And that fact tied in with the the suit coming back from the dry cleaners and what a coincidence that this happens uh, right when she's about to go confess makes me think that it's not impossible that as part of plan B, maybe Nicole went out and found somebody who matches his general description and they actually whacked the guy and dumped him uh, somehow, had him dumped in the river or uh, I don't know, somehow manufactured the situation so that there's a five-day-old body at the morgue when they're looking mm. for a five-day-old body at the swimming pool. But again, it all comes back to what good does it do them for plan B? Right. To send her on a goose chase to the morgue. Or maybe they expected she wouldn't actually go there and she would just think, oh, they found him. And that would make uh, the end of Plan B even more frightening. Right. Because as it is, she doesn't know that... She knows that he's not the guy at the morgue, and we still don't know where his body is. But they've raised these questions with the dry cleaning in the hotel that indicates somebody is making it look like he's still alive. So maybe he is. Yeah, you know, the more I think about this, the more I think that these little goose chases and these little things to try to get Christina to figure out or come to a conclusion about what happened to Michelle now that he's not in the pool anymore were written into the script um, for the purposes of keeping the audience guessing as Mm -hmm. well as the character Christina guessing. If you watch the film, knowing what plan B is, all of these little things just fall apart because like you said, the fact that all of a sudden it's this new morning and Nicole picks up the newspaper. And within two seconds, she's decided that, Hey, there's a body that they found in the river and you better go check it out to have, come up with that as a plan ahead of time is really a lot of preparation and so many things have to go right for that to work. Um, so I'm, I want to, I, I tend to believe that the way that they wrote this for the screenplay. And I, you know, if you, if you read the, the novel, maybe um, the way that it, it, the, the crime is orchestrated is a little bit more um, tightly scripted and that doesn't have any, um, you know, any holes in it in the, in the plot. Mm-hmm. But for the movie, it's like you're watching this and you're experiencing it and it's probably only going to happen one time. You are just as much in disbelief about what's going on as Christina is. You're following the clues just as much as Christina is. You think that Nicole is just as concerned about what's going on as Christina is. It's not until the very end that everything turns around. And then once everything turns around, you're not expected to go back and say, but wait a minute, what about this, 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 and this? I just think that it's, and I don't know if that's lazy 
script writing or if that's just taking advantage of the position that your viewing audience is in the first time through that they will never, ever be in again if they ever see it again. And when you consider that this is probably one of the first, hey, don't reveal the ending films, you know, hey, this is a twist ending, you know, because like um, when Psycho came out, they had that whole marketing uh, strategy where they had these giant billboards that said, you know, like if you if you show up to the movie after it starts, we're not going to let you in. You have to wait till the next showing and right. don't spoil it for anybody and don't please don't say what happens at the end. And that was a direct takeoff of this, which was done like five years earlier. So Hitchcock was obviously influenced by this. Hey, we only get one shot at our having our audience in this particular state of suspending disbelief. And then right. once we ruin it, we're, we ruin it. Um, and I'm sure there's been plenty of discussions about all the things that you and I are talking about now about this movie since it came out. But... I don't, I don't know that there's an answer to most of them. I think they, I think the script was written kind of linearly and said, okay, you know, we know at the end what the twist is, but how we get there, let's just make it interesting. I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know, but it's, 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 it's fun to kind of try and think about what's happening off screen in order to get to this point where a body is found or the hotel key shows up or, you know, yeah, we don't really have to have everything spelled out for us every step of the way, and leaving it just ambiguous enough can be kind of fun to consider the yeah. different possibilities. Right, right. Uh, but, yeah, I was thinking it'd be good to read the book, but considering how much they changed the the genders and the occupations and the roles of the two females and the male. So we come to uh, the scene where the, the the women and one of the older teachers find this boy out and he's doing some yard work. He's picking up leaves and putting them in a wheelbarrow. And um, they want to know why he's where he is or why he's doing this. And he says, well, the principal punished him for breaking a window. And they say, what do you mean the principal? And they said, yeah, the principal, you know, like the principal, whatever his name is, um, Miguel. Michelle. Michelle. Um, mm -hmm. And the women are like, what? You're obviously lying. You tell lies all the time. You, you know, you're a terrible liar. Um, so, and, and then, of course, the other two teachers come out and they kind of uh, reinforce this idea that he's lying and then he made it up. And then the guilt of doing what he did forced him to see a, a, a hallucination of the, of the principal, but he really wasn't there. And um, you know, uh, the principal took my slingshot. No, of course he didn't take it. You know, you have it in your pocket, but it's not really there. Um, they don't find it. And so ultimately he's punished even further by being forced to sit and stare at the wall or stand and stare at the wall, uh, until he fesses up to the truth. Um, but the women, are clearly put off by this that he says he's he's seen the director the, the principal and um because they still don't know what the hell happened to the body and nicole is pretending <laughs> to go along with it so they still don't know what's going on and maybe you know maybe maybe he survived 
Because at this point, I think that Christina thinks that um, Michelle is alive and actually did survive. And I think at one point, Nicole says something like, I've seen dead bodies before and don't worry, Michelle was definitely one of the dead bodies. He's definitely dead. Yeah, because um, he dumped one in the river after she's... Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so N Nicole gives uh, Christina another sedative to put her to sleep, mm -hmm. um, as you do over and over again in this movie. Um, yeah. The next um, day... Oh, go ahead. Christina is dosing herself with digitalis, I guess. I got is that, that word that from is? somewhere in this film. Yeah, I don't know what it does. But, um, anyway, so Christine is eye-dropping something into her own glass of water. And they cut over to Nicole, who's, like, prepping a syringe. <laughs> yes. Like, she's going to be completely out of it pretty soon. Or is that later? Let's see. Digitalis is an example of a drug designed, derived from a plant formerly used by herbalists. It was employed for a variety of purposes, including the treatment of epilepsy and other seizure disorders, hmm. and it is now considered an, an inappropriate treatment. All right. Huh. Um, the use of the extract containing cardiac glycosides for the treatment of heart conditions. Oh, there we go. All right, so maybe that it's it's actually heart medicine. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Um so the next day, um a photographer arrives to take a picture of the class and the boy who was punished by facing the wall is given a reprieve so that he can come over and be in the picture. And um so they all uh, sit down in front of the school with the windows in the background and the photographer sets up to get the photo taken. Um, there's another doctor at the same time who shows up and tells Christina that she is overdoing it. She needs to stay in bed. She needs to rest. She can't get up. She needs to stay in bed. Um, and there's this there's this weird scene with the two doctors driving away talking about corpses or something, but I, I, I was so distracted by all the other stuff going on that I didn't really understand what that scene was all about. But okay, the um, point of that scene was you have the, the regular doctor and the specialist in the back of a, a limo apparently, or his uh, chauffeur driven car. Right. The regular doctor asks the specialist, Basically, why didn't you take her to the clinic? Why did you leave her here? And the specialist response was uh, basically because cadavers in my clinic and hearses parked in front of my pl place of business is uh, is bad for business. Oh, okay. So he's basically saying, look, she's going to die soon. She's about to die, and I don't want her uh, fucking up my <laughs> my job. You know, I'm going to have a bad reputation. Yeah, and yeah, that's, that's something that's... that that might be a, a pan European concept too, because here in Italy, um, so for example, my my grandmother, she uh, kind of had deteriorating health for a while, involving dementia and uh, different things like that. Um, 
they would send her to the hospital. She'd stay there for like a week or so and then come back and a nurse would come over every day to check on her. And then maybe six months later, something would happen. She'd go to the hospital again. When you know it's really bad is when they send them home from the hospital. Yeah. Because the mindset over here is uh, not that it's bad for business, like this callous French specialist guy in the <laughs> film. But their idea is there's nothing more we can do, and it's better for them to be at home right? when they pass. Uh, so he could have been cool and played it that way. He could have said, well, it'd be better for her to pass away in her school surrounded by her loving students that give her uh, <laughs> appropriately black lace fans to cool herself <laughs> in the afterworld. But no. I think he was such a dick that he's just like, what, have somebody croak in my hospital and have people <laughs> see the hearse? Screw that. No, that's bad for business. <laughs> I'm going to get uh, some bad Yelp reviews. As a result of this. <laughs> Seven out of ten corpses do not recommend. <laughs> so anyway, after either before or after that scene, the photo is taken, and mm -hmm. after it's developed, um, they look at the photo, and somebody says, "Hey, I see the principal in the window." And all mm -hmm. of a sudden, Nicole goes and grabs it and runs inside to show it to Christina. And right. um, when you look at the picture, I mean, it's pretty obvious that he was in the window, although his face looks bigger than his everybody face else's. Is huge. <laughs> and it almost looks like an apparition. You know, it's like either that or they just really didn't plan on anybody scrutinizing you know, the, the, the spatial relationships between the faces outside the window and the ones on the inside, because it was only going to be on the screen for a minute or two, but, or second. Yeah, I think two. they might've made it bigger just to make sure people saw it. Make sure people saw it. Right. Yeah. And not pause it on a Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To, to exactly. scrutinize it for their bitchy podcast every couple months. <laughs> <laughs> uh, present company excluded, of course. Right. Yeah. Um, so now the women are definitely frightened, or at least Nicole is acting frightened. They talk about running away, and Christina says, look, um, I have to stay behind. I'm not supposed to leave. The doctors say I'm not supposed to leave. I think you need to leave and go off on your own. And Nicole decides she's going to go off on her own. Okay. What do you think is happening here as far as plan B? Do you think that Nicole has decided, screw this? Or do you think she's just uh, pretending that she wants to go? Because I kind of have an idea. I think that Nicole, at this point, I could be wrong here. I think at this point, Nicole knows that whether Christina is really condemned to a fatal end from her doctor, or it's just, you know, that she's decided that she wants to give up because she feels so guilty and she needs to accept her fate that um, most of the work is done for plan B and um, they really just need to have that final 
uh, nail in the coffin, uh, no pun intended, mm -hmm. um, to get what they want out of plan B. And Nicole says, you know, in her mind, she says, now that everything's been set up and we'll have that final, that final scene, I need to get out of here and maybe even establish my own alibi for plan B that I was never here. Right. Um, when this all, when all, when this all goes down, that's, that's what I think. Okay. Um, I think there are a couple different ways to look at it. One way I'm looking at it is she was on board with plan B up until very recently. One thing that plan B never accounted for was some retired nosy detective walking around playing Columbo. Yeah. And I think that might've unnerved her a little bit. And if we're accepting the theory that they are lovers, the, the two women, mm. Maybe she's thinking, okay, she's getting closer to the end of her rope. And we, we just heard the specialist say yeah, she's about to die, basically. Yeah. Maybe she's thinking, I need to get out of here because now there's too much attention on this as a case because of this retired cop coming around and finding uh, the the suit. Right yes. after we said it's not, you know, maybe she's yep. starting to lose her nerve a little bit. And it wouldn't exactly hurt if she disappears with Christine and Christine croaks a little bit later down the road. And somehow she can finagle it so that um, she gets the inheritance instead of having to split it or hope that Michelle gets it and doesn't cut her out completely. Right. That's one possibility. Mm -hmm. um, another, uh, just slipped out of my head. <laughs> um, maybe she knows that Christine is too sick to go anywhere. So, like you said, she's setting up her own alibi for when Plan B goes through. Right. But why would she need to leave for that? Because uh, to me, it would seem more suspicious that she bolts. Right then, because she just came back from vacation. the The director or the the principal's missing. Michelle is gone. Who knows where he is? Uh, Christine is super sick. The specialist came and checked on her, and doesn't look like you know she's long for this world. And now she disappears. Hmm. So. Well, yeah. I mean, you know. They, the, the assumption is that their plan is going to go correctly, which basically means that when it's over, Christina will be dead. Um, and all they need to say is, hey, she um, continued to have these weird um, neurotic episodes and she has a heart condition and it caught up with her. And uh -huh. now we can all move on um and if it goes according to plan how are they going to explain it when michelle shows up right after she's dead everybody's well, been talking yeah. about how he's been a wall he'll he he'll come up with well first of all he'll come up with something 
Um, and on top of that, they still have this kind of fear and respect for him that he really doesn't need to explain himself if he's going to just be the same old Michel that he's always been, which is... Well, I don't mean them. I mean now that there's a cop involved. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Well... And that kind of monkey wrenches the whole plan B. True. Well, and like I, like we said, they, 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 yeah. in these movies, they never get away with it anyway, so... Um, so the next scene, um, Christina wakes up and Fichet is sitting there. He came to give her an update. Um, in the middle of the night, sitting in in her dark bedroom. Yeah. You kind of don't know. Like it may have been (laughs) that she fell asleep in the middle of the day and it's still daytime because like she's, she just sleeps constantly. Well, it's dark Um, in her room until she turns on the light. Right. Yeah. Right. So he knows she has a heart condition, and he's got this uh, great big update for her, which is basically, I haven't found out anything. I have no update, right. <laughs> I, had to, I had to rush over here and uh, risk but, scaring me to death. But I think that that update is false pretenses. I think he's, I think he, do, he does know what's going on, or he's starting to put the pieces together, and he's trying to get some information out of her, um, which is, you know, she basically comes forward and says, look, um, it was me. I did it. Um, and Nicole helped me do it. And she confesses, basically. And it is, But it's like he doesn't believe her. He doesn't believe her. Does. And he, he, says, he says, don't worry. Um, you need a strong sedative. And um, you will wake when you wake up tomorrow. You'll probably be acquitted, so you'll be fine. Um, but I think that when he says you'll wake up tomorrow acquitted, I think he kind of knows what Plan B is. And saying acquitted basically means, look, I know that you think you're guilty of doing this thing, but you really didn't do it because it didn't happen. And you were double crossed. And once I prove it by tomorrow, everything will be fine. But of course, okay. that's and not, that's the, the line that either. he baits her with before she bites the bait and spits out uh, her confession, he says, I found him and he'll be here soon. Right? And then she freaks out, No, he can't because I killed him and we killed him, blah, blah, blah. Right. What if he. What if he wasn't just trying to bait him? What if he's like, no, I found him and he'll be here soon because, like you said, he knows he's figured out plan B. Yeah. So, But how? I mean, that would have been cool to see. Mm, yeah. But yeah, that that's that's the that's the spinoff movie of uh, <laughs> Commandant uh, Fichet or whatever. Right. Um, but then he goes back to continuing the investigation, like he hasn't found him. He's like, "Oh, so where did you find this lighter? Is there a wicker trunk somewhere in the garage?" And yeah, but I think that that may be that you know, hey, he's he's putting all the pieces together. He needs to find some evidence. He thinks oh. he knows what he thinks he knows what happened. Right, um, those aren't mutually exclusive. He could have found him, and he knows he'll be here soon. But now that he's heard this confession, he's like, let me check on this. Is this 
is this woman just talking crazy shit or you know right right so -hmm. maybe that was him learning about plan a after he'd already figured out plan b so he figured it out backwards yeah well plan well plan yes okay right absolutely that makes sense yeah so i'm liking this movie the more we talk about it it's definitely subtle um so now we have the big pivotal scene the one that um makes this movie uh as influential as it is on all the other movies that came after it um and it's this is the scene where i still don't understand why they didn't put any music in it but um once again christina wakes up in her bed it's nighttime she turns the lights on she hears noises she looks out the window she sees on the other side of the building lights on and a shape uh moving uh around and turning the lights on and off so she decides to get up and she follows uh to see what's going on and there's this really cool scene of this really long hallway um that she starts to walk down and as she gets halfway down the hallway the camera pans uh to the right and we see the door handle turn and the door open a little bit and they did this really cool thing in this scene where they show you like half movements and half reveals where you don't really know what you're looking at and you don't really see a hundred percent what you think you're going to see. Uh, and they put like five or six or seven of them, like back to back to back to back to really kind of disorient you as you're watching this. And I thought that was really cool. Um, we hear the typewriter, um, the sounds of somebody typing on the typewriter. Um, the, uh, the door opens slowly kind of by itself and we see like maybe a hand moving or maybe it's a shadow of a hand and then um christina looks in and she sees two gloves over by the typewriter in the office right and uh she goes over to the typewriter and two gloves and his hat and the hat yes she goes over to the typewriter and she looks at the paper and it just says Michelle, 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 Michelle. And I think it also says like his last name, Della Sale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the, the Jack Nicholson scene in The Shining. Exactly. I was just about to ask you what you thought about that. That's what it reminded me of. But mm-hmm. um, in a different, I mean, obviously it's used in The Shining in a different way. It's kind of right. That's, yeah, that's where I, you know, maybe, you know, uh, Kubrick got that uh, inspiration from this. Who knows? Um, all of a sudden, the lights go off, and Christina screams, and she runs back to her room. And I wrote, "This is where I wrote this scene needs music." Okay. Um, she runs into her room. She's gasping for breath. She's all you know, charged up, sweaty. Uh, You could tell that she's having problems with her heart at this point. She goes into the bathroom. She goes over to the sink. She turns the water on. She's going to try to cool herself off. And she turns and she sees (gasps) Michel. And he's in the tub 
Um, but, and he's got that look on his face like we saw in the tub in the other house when they drained it. He's in there and he's got his mm -hmm. eyes, you know, you just see the whites of his eyes, like his eyes have rolled in the back of his head. And, but he starts to move and he starts to move his arm and he starts to stand up. And at this point, Christina can't believe what she's seeing. It's almost as if she did see a ghost. It's almost as if she saw a zombie or like, hey, he's dead, but he's not dead. And she dies, basically. And she has a, there's a couple of shots of her like getting even more and more and more scared. And then the final thing when he stands up, it's almost comical. Like she just kind of has this final gasp for breath and then just keels over to the side and she's done. And right. um, she's dead. And we go back to Michelle, who reaches into his eyeballs and pulls out these fake contacts or fake eye lenses or containers. And or the hugest contacts I've ever seen. Yeah, they're really big. They're like um, half a ping pong ball or something. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. Um, and so he's now out of the tub. He's soaking wet. His eyes are regular. He pulled his contacts out. He goes over to the door. He opens it, and Nicole comes in. And we now know um, what the real plan was. Um, and Nicole goes through these kind of um, informational confessions where you get a few more details about how I felt so bad for you when you had to sit in that tub the whole time or when you had to sit in the wicker trunk for that whole drive it must have been terrible and um you know we don't know really because we don't understand nicole and michelle's relationship for for real we don't understand it maybe he isn't an asshole um maybe he just pretends to be an asshole for the sake of the people he doesn't like or you know, like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe he really w was a good guy to Nicole. We don't really know. But, but he's an, for, for he's her an to asshole be, to everybody else. He's and an he's feeding it, these true. kids rotten fish. And... No, you're right. You're right. But Nicole must obviously see something in him where she is only pretending to hate him. Um. Because, you know, throughout the whole movie, she, or not throughout the whole movie, but up until the point where they kill him, she's just kind of fanning the flames of how much he's a bastard, how much she hates him. But that's yeah. not really true. She doesn't feel that way about him because she's in on it with this plan. Yeah. So She's a bitch. Right. So she's just as bad as he is. So that was the plan. Let's scare Christina to death. Um, and right. So we get this whole little exposition dump for plan B. Mm -hmm. at the end of the film it's like the bond villain that explains his plan right before he thinks he's going to kill james bond right right <laughs> he explains everything in case you've been you know lost in your popcorn for the last hour <laughs> really going on right and conveniently they say all this right in front of who F yeah fiche yeah <laughs> he, it's, it's the it's the final twist <laughs> Where we've just gotten a twist, but we got a little Interrobang extra twist. Yeah, the the Intera twist. The Intera twist. The, the third one, or the fourth one. <laughs> uh, 
So Fichette walks in, Fichet walks in and says, well, um, you know, I, I forget what his actual quote is, something about how much time they're going to get depending on which judge they get or something like that. Yeah. And, and the ball's on him to come out there. You know, he's, um, he seemed like he was a little bit short of stature and yeah. he's obviously an elderly type man. So here's, uh, you know, here's this ratty pipsqueak asshole who's supposed to be dead and his, uh, Amazon blonde, uh, <laughs> lover standing there. I'm sure between the two of them, they could have, you know, taken care of him too. Yeah. But he right, just walks exactly. out there all by himself and says, oh, thanks for uh, that exposition dump. You're both under arrest. And, <laughs> and he doesn't necessarily <laughs> have any sort of pistol or anything like to to yeah. enforce the law here. Right? It's like his hands are in his pocket. <laughs> yeah, he comes out, his hands are in the pocket of his raincoat. So maybe he's like, hey, you don't know what I got in my hands. It ain't good, right. I tell you that. But they have so. to they have to concede because if they decide to kill him, Somebody's going to notice that he's missing because yeah. he's got connections, I would think. So he'll scream like a bitch and wake everybody up. <laughs> right. So, uh, all's well that ends well, sort of, kind of. Um, unfortunately, it ends with Christina dying, or so we think, because the final scene, um, we see the boy again, the boy who was punished for lying about seeing the principal is now mm. claiming that he got his slingshot back from the directress. And um, the old teacher, Drain, I think his name is, he right. basically says, oh, clearly you're mistaken because we all saw her die and we all saw them take the body away. And yep. the boy walks away and he says, but I know I saw her. And then we tunnel in our closing shot and we get the end. Um, and um, then before the credits roll, it says, don't be devils. Don't ruin the interest your friends could take in this film. Don't tell them what you saw. Thank you for them. Um, and again, a little, one of those little marketing things that we talked about before where um they were trying this new technique to get people to, to not talk about what the movie was about or give away the mm -hmm. ending so that it, they could generate more interest in going to see the movie. But now that it's over, what I wanted to see, and maybe it's just because I'm so used to there being more to it. Um, because again, like this is, this is 1955. It's one of the very first, films to kind of employ these tactics and techniques but building 20 years later uh, of a bunch of giallo films i wanted to see that fichet had secretly told christina what plan b was and christina pretended to have a heart attack huh. just so that they could capture Nicole and Michelle and then at the end you would see that um Christina was actually alive and uh, yeah that's what that's 
that's what I was hoping for. Um, and it seems like a logical next step in the evolution of the storytelling. But when you consider how old this film is, I think that's where they wanted to leave it. Like they just decided, you know, let's leave it open. Let's leave it mysterious. Um, and that's the end of it. Right. Because you, you spend the film with the two women. Well, one actually, uh, and the other in a fake way being afraid of ghosts or the possibility of a ghost of the right. dead Michelle. And then you end it with no, actually there is a ghost because we killed Christina and she came back. But now that you mention it, I do like the idea that uh, Fichet helped her kind of wrap up her life there and get away. Yeah. And kind of pull a uh, Bruce Wayne at the end of Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Well, I was Death I was Night. thinking more like, you know, the scene at the end of um, The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward where she is, they, they, um, Edwidge's character is trapped in the room with the gas and the cop comes and they break in and she's dead and they take her to the hospital and then it forces the two bad guys to come out and reveal themselves and, but she really wasn't dead. And then they have that last scene where after they, you know, they, they solve the crime, they show that, you know, um, that when she was taken to the hospital, after they found her in the room that they resuscitated her and um, they figured out the problem and they, they, they had her pretend to be in on it, you know, like, you know, to, to confuse the killers or whatever. Anyway, that's what it reminded me of. Like, that's what it, I wanted to see as this boy was walking away. Um, I wanted to see Fichet and Christina um, in a, in a final scene of, Hey, you know, they had the last laugh or whatever it is, but um, I do appreciate the fact that it, the ambiguity of it kind of hints at the idea that maybe Christina is a ghost, like for real. And yeah, you know, and we will never know. And the one kid with the slingshot, is the only one who saw her. Yeah. You know, so I like that too. Um, but, and, and so maybe when I say I wanted to see Fichet and Christina have the last laugh and have another scene, maybe it's not so much that I wanted that, but that's what I was expecting because I'm so used to everything being tied up um, at the end that of these That might be Yalo considered films. too much of a Hollywood happy ending. Yeah. If they've done that. It could be. I mean, I don't think Hitchcock, even when he was in Hollywood, would have ended it on a note like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It'd be interesting, maybe, to watch the, the 96 remake with Sharon Stone and Isabella Gianni. I doubt it yeah. would be better yeah, than Yeah, it might this, be. But... I, wonder what, I wonder if they reimagined it in, you know, the script in any way. Yeah. Any kind of differences to... would be interesting enough to watch, even if it's not a better film. Right. Well, that's it then. Uh, what do you, so any any last words? Any final thoughts for you? 
not really. This was a great film, but you know, I'd seen it before, and uh, even if you haven't seen it, but you do know that it's a classic that uh, has been revered by everybody from Hitchcock to the current VFI rating list. It's um, it's not going to suck, right? So, right. If you're the type of Jalo fan that likes the more uh, Argento type Jalo score type stuff that we watch usually on this show, or even the protos that we've been doing from the '60s, this is very different, but it has a lot of uh, similarities. I mean, death yeah. in a bathtub and gaslighting and, yep. um, well, I don't know. I don't have your list in front of me, but there, there is <laughs> well, a lot I, of Jalo score stuff on this. Yeah. Well, no, I did score it and it didn't do very well. It got a 22. Oh. Um, but there, you know, there was a bathtub murder. There were a few other things, um, that, you know, are definitely the hallmarks of what's to come later. Um, mm. But I think that, uh, you know, certainly the Giallo film owes some of its success to this film, not necessarily in total, but in just some of its characteristics. Um, But this film also informs just the general thriller type film that, uh, you know, would kind of get more and more popularized with Alfred Hitchcock too. So, um, yeah. And it has some film noir elements too. Like, um, Oh, double indemnity. Yeah. Where the lady's trying to get Fred McMurray, the lady, I think it's Barbara Stanwyck. Maybe is trying to get Fred McMurray to kill her husband. And so they kind of have a plot going on, but then it turns out that there's another plot. So like yeah. a plan A and a plan B for that too. Uh, but that so, that film came before this, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was 40, 40 something. something, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so for the, the Jalo score, did you count Fichet as an amateur detective because he was a retired policeman? No, I did not. Oh, yeah. Okay. Should I? Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's not going to help it that much. I mean, it, on a, a teacher's grading scale, it'd still be an F. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> All right, now it's a, it's a 27 instead of 22. We can give it to him, though. Um, okay. Yeah. No, it, okay. it, it was good. I You know, I, I'm glad I watched it and... I'm glad I I spent time looking at it in detail because um, I I don't want to be in the dark anymore when somebody says that this film is a you know it, it was obviously inspired by Le Diabolique because I don't know what they really mean I mean I kind of had the idea that there was this kind of gaslighting are you crazy or are you being driven crazy kind of blackmail thing not blackmail thing but like uh you know um things are not manipulation you know yeah manipulation things aren't what they seem kind of movie but Mm -hmm. i didn't realize you know 
how specific it was to uh, the genre and, you know, how much these Jalo directors took inspiration from this. It's clear, you know, so yeah, yeah I liked it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for hanging in there. Um, we definitely picked this one apart. Um, and next time on the Jalo Chow Chow podcast, we will take care of the film that I had suggested called Murder by Music, also known as The Trumpets of the Apocalypse. It is a 1968 or 1969 film, I think, set in London, and it's about drugs and hippies and murder and music um what could go wrong so we'll take care of that next time and i will continue to be a pain in matt's ass and see <laughs> if he will join us the next time we have a recording again i just want to remind everybody that we can be reached at jalo chow chow at gmail.com you can go to our facebook group called the jalo chow chow podcast uh, and uh, interact with us there. Um, be uh, and feel free to head over to Apple and tell the world what you think of us, whether it's good or bad. We like all of the feedback. So, until next time, ciao, ciao, everybody. Ciao, ciao.